Good morning, passengers. This is your captain speaking. Thank you for flying Dubtock Airlines. Our flight today should last a little under three hours and will take us by some absolutely fantastic views of airships. I'll point out some as we pass, and we may even have an opportunity to see the famed Silvana in person, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. Before we take off, I just wanted to go over a few rules and regulations we at Dubtock Airlines would like you to follow. The Dubtock podcast may contain language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Also, please be aware that there will be spoilers for Last Exile, so if you haven't watched it, you've been warned. Finally, the opinions expressed belong to those of the individual participants and do not reflect the Dubtock podcast as a whole. Now please buckle your seatbelts and put your chairs in a comfortable, upright position as we prepare for takeoff. Enjoy your flight, and thank you for flying. Dubtock here. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dubtock Classics, a show where a bunch of nerds get together and talk about an important dub of their lives from yesteryear. Uh, today, we have a really special episode for you. Uh, quite frankly, because I've had this one in some stage of production for over two years now. Tonight, I have with me Megan. Hi, everybody. By the way, I learned this chant. It says something, something, bullets will not pass through my body. Oh, yeah. Mm, maybe that mantra will come in handy later. Uh, we have Amon. Do you like airships? Then do we have a show for you. Also, do you like airships look like classic automobiles? Because we also really have a show for you. <laughs> Let me tell you. Oh my god, holy shit we do. This a steampunk's wet dream just made into an anime. Have you ever wanted to fly around in the Eliminator car? <laughs> <laughs> and last but not least, as you have heard, we have Noah Clue. Hello, hot gang. Are you ready to talk about that one Gonzo show with all the CGI? No, no, not that one. No, not that one either. No, not that. Yes, that's the one. That's the right one. Because we are. Oh, yeah. Um, I am, of course, Roots of Justice, and tonight's episode is on Last Exile. Woohoo! Which is Woo! ironic because yeah. this actually wasn't the Last Exile, there was another one that came after it. Yeah, shut and up, maybe... about... shut up, Noah. And if it was Final Fantasy, and maybe why was at there some point we will talk about that one too, because that one's fascinating as well from a dub perspective. In any case, uh, this dub for the purpose of Dub Talk Classics episodes, usually uh, the dub in question has a very important place in the heart of the host. Um, in this case. I had watched a little bit of Last Exile during its original broadcast run on G4 Tech TV. Remember that? I do. If you do, you are eligible for an AARP rewards card. <laughs> I'm 12 and what is this? <laughs> so, so there used to be a premium cable channel. It was about technology. It was very nice. And then it got bought up some by some useless gaming channel who just filled it with cops reruns. It was very unfortunate. And apparently it's now called Esquire. Actually, no, it's not called Esquire anymore. The network is dead. Sounds about right. Now, back in the days of G4 Tech TV, um, Last Exile was among a lot of shows that 
I hold very near and dear to my heart that ended up airing on the network. Uh, through a sort of Adult Swim ripoff that they referred to as Anime Unleashed. And it had the most early 2000s commercials you could imagine. Um, stuff that aired on that block um, was stuff like Cromarty High School. Um, he ate my pencil! <laughs> he, ate he ate my pencil! pencil! That's not normal. God, we need to do an episode on Cromarty High. Um, but there was also, like, really weird and obscure stuff that ended up being really up my wheelhouse, like, Better Man, um, Gadgard, Crest of the Stars. What a great slot that was, man. I know, and it just disappeared, and it was a shame. I... I'm going to assume it was basically the end of Genion that basically killed the block in ADV. I, I'm assuming it's... Well, I think actually, as far as I can tell, Tech TV, uh, Tech TV got bought by G4 because they wanted, like, one of their shows and then just slowly dismantled all their other programming in the process. There was actually, like, a big scandal. Ah, there was I actually see. a big scandal. It was based, I think, in San Francisco, and they made everyone move to L.A. when the channel got bought, and then they, like, almost fired basically everybody from it within, like, six months. Yeah, that'd do it. Actually, that also jives with stuff like um, Leo Laporte leaving and all that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, boy, I am segueing so much in these first five minutes of this episode. Um, you guys probably want to know what the show is about. Maybe. And I just so happen to have a plot description courtesy of Anime News Network. In a world that looks like the 19th century with anti-gravity devices. Klaus and Lavi are pilot and co-pilot of a van ship and act as couriers. They become involved with a mysterious mission after rescuing a little girl from a strange star-shaped killing machine. Not willing to let the girl die, they complete the mission by delivering her to the legendary mercenary ship Silvana, only to become part of the crew as fighter pilots. Also, that was a very horrible Don LaFontaine, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> you gave it your best, though. <laughs> Alright, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna redo that. because No, no, no! You're <laughs> keeping that! <laughs> there are no second takes in Vanship Flying! <laughs> <laughs> there are no second lives. <laughs> there are no second lives in Last Exile! Not unless not unless you're a member of the guild and Delphine's resurrected you. <laughs> And, and, and honestly, working under Delphina, is that really living? Touche. But yeah, airships and steampunk. And politics and oppression of the minority class and, uh, you know, wearing funny outfits on a ship and firing at the enemies. Just all sorts of fun stuff. And ripping and getting around every copyright that you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> for for the record, happy you can sing the happy birthday song. It is not that was a bogus bullshit uh law or whatever. You can sing it now. No one knew that back when this was fucking made. I, <laughs> I wish I could go back I, in time. I think, I think the issue was the lyrics were copyrighted, not the music. But no one bothered enough to make that distinction. 
I'm so glad, Amon, that you posted in the chat. This has one of my favorite TV tropes of all time. And you're right. There are a lot. I looked up that page on TV tropes. There are a lot of shows that made up their own birthday songs just to get around that rule. It was very expensive to license Happy Birthday back in the day. No one wanted to do it. No one had Happy Birthday oh, money. Oh, and, and you know, not to mention, it also has gambling that leads to fistfights. That leads to lobby off the ropes with a steel chair. <laughs> and chocobos. And chocobos. You can't forget the chocobo. I'm going to speak oh for the... Oh my god! <laughs> for, for those who haven't played any Final Fantasy, um, which I'm sure is me and two other people listening to this, what is a chocobo? It's a big, it's like... it's a bird big enough that you can ride. That looks Thanks. it's like a it's like a horse chicken. They give a more gracefully designed ostrich. That looks like a chicken. Also, like Noah, I can explain a Final Fantasy song for you really quickly, uh, if I can. Okay. Uh, my name is Cloud. I have a sword. I fight Cactors because I'm bored. I like to ride <laughs> on chocobos. It's better than having Afros. And when I go into an inn, fifteen <laughs> seconds, it's day again. <laughs> And I will use a phoenix die, so when I die, I will not frown. My name is Cloud. My hair defies all gravity. And I can't drink too many potions or I might get cavities. If I can't fuck them, then that's okay. Something, something anyway. And I won't be up that Sephiroth. Because he is not David Lee Roth. <laughs> oh my god, the early mad? internet was a trip. That was amazing, thank you. That deserves a round of applause. <laughs> I don't know why I just, of all things, remembered 95% of that from memory. It's so catchy, That or, the rhymes are so good. You did a good job. But you were saying, Amon? Actually, I was going to ask if, the, if I should imagine Justin Briner singing that, but clearly that's a lot older than that, that series, so never mind. He, d you should, next time I'm at a con, I'm going to ask him to do it. <laughs> Submi uh, submission for, uh, for Weeby for their next cover. <laughs> See, here's the great thing about working All with right. these people, is that I learn everything about video games completely through osmosis. I've never played Animal Crossing. But I don't need to. I've never played Final Fantasy, but I don't need to. I have never played Persona, any of them, but it's okay, because these guys tell me everything I need to know about it. Alright, so to start us off with our review portion of this episode, um, let's start off with the ADR staff. And honestly, since both of these people do both roles simultaneously... Uh, this section is actually kind of easy to go off with. Um, uh, doing both direction and script writing are Eric P. Sherman and Christy Reed. Now, in terms of direction from the both of them, you would know Eric Sherman's work from stuff like the Media Blasters dub of Roni Kenshin, and you would know Christy Reed's work from things like Dorarara. Um, In fact, one of the only instances I could find... Uh, via ANN where they both kind of did both on the same project was uh, The Melancholy of Harui Suzumiya. Uh, so probably should have picked an order before we started this episode but who would like to go first? 
I sung an entire song, so not me. Uh, Noah. Okay. So, um, this is, um, a fun time to go back to because when I first got into anime back in the late 2000s, um, it's actually a name of, we don't have a name for the decade yet. I know some people call it the aughts. Some people call it the 2000s. I don't know what we're calling it yet. But when I started getting- I think it's called the naughties. Mm -mm. That's what the British call it. I could I could see that should catching up. Well, here is in history books, like you know, you're an you're an anthropologist, Megan. You you know that people like refer to decades in the future. I have a humanities degree, thank you. I don't go into the dirt, bitch. I don't go. I don't get dirty. <laughs> you could <if> you <laughs> Noah. I couldn't tell you, Noah. I could not tell you what dirt tasted like. I haven't what? seen the sun in days. I'm just saying that. Uh, Don't forget, Noah Clue. She also called Akira Fudo a twonk. <laughs> That's what I'm that. saying. Is that, but the question is: Are terms like twonk and naughty going to be embraced in our our professional history books into the future? That's what we need to determine. Twonk. Listen here. If himbo can become a culturally phenomenal phrase, so can twonk. I, I fully anticipate. I fully anticipate my grandchildren coming home with history books that have himbo, and they don't snicker at it. It's just part of the lexicon. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the show we're talking about, but it's very important we t we have these discussions now. Nobody <laughs> in the show is a himbo. No, they're nobody not. in Last Exile is a himbo. No, this is a very. I mean, I don't know what... Uh, no, Alexander Rowe is most definitely a himbo. Alexander no, Rowe is not a himbo. No, no. He's not stupid enough. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. He's... I mean, he's brute. Alexander... Alexander Rowe... Alexander Rowe looks at Gallo from from Promare and goes, Okay, you're too stupid to get on the ship. <laughs> he would, too. Technically, I, I'm gonna bite my tongue because I don't know who has seen who hasn't seen Promare in this room. So I haven't seen it yet. Exactly. Anyway, How go ahead. Get on this topic. What we're talking anyway, about. Noah, please go. Cultural significance, just like this show. Uh, the reason I bring up the decade I was watching it is because a lot of the shows that I watched when I first got into anime were from the time period that this show was dubbed. This this show came out in 2003. This was a spring 2003 to fall 2003 show because it's a two core show and so it was dubbed uh like a year or so later and actually it was picked up pretty quickly for licensing by genion so the voice acting and the writing on this uh was in that level where we were getting much more uh serious about our dubbing there's no four kidsifying on this which is good because the content uh with you know, lots of death lots of matters of gray morality and uh, trying to basically fill the shoes of your dead parents is content that wouldn't do itself well for a comedy dub. So when I say that Eric and Christy play this dead straight, I really mean it. There there are only a couple of lines here or there that are played up for laughs, and they were in the original script. So adaptation-wise, it's very clean, very professional, the kind of stuff that I can easily understand why it got on television. Um, it was what, what channel did you say that was on? Because I didn't recognize it when you mentioned it tech tv tech that's uh it was yeah like a, it was like a it was a premium cable channel that was mostly like tech advice it was it was uh, very nerdy in retrospect i'm kind of survived i'm kind of surprised it got off the air got off the ground at all uh, that does sound i mean as a premium channel i can i can see that makes sense i can't imagine it surviving as like you know 
un, uh, you know basic, one of the big basic three cable. Uh, ba yeah basic cable um but i was a yeah, poor no. so i did not have any premium channels so i would not have seen it um, so yeah, I can see why this got television broadcasting, and as far as um, actually understanding it, um, it's pretty, it, it's as close to the Japanese and understanding it. I actually watched a couple episodes in the English dub with the subtitles playing on it, because uh, the lines were just going by so quickly, not because of the dub, but because the scenes themselves were just going by so quickly that I didn't catch some of the terminology. Like, Emelman was one of them. Uh, Dio refers to Klaus as Emelman at one point, and I needed to know what the spelling for that was because I wanted to look up what does that mean. And there's a couple other chess references to them. I'm like, what does that even mean? So as far as the actual... Fun fact, most people in this... Fun fact for most people out there, you have most likely performed an Emelman at one point in your life. Yes, you probably have. Um, is it okay. I will explain when we get to when I talk about it. I will explain when I talk. Okay, I, I will, <laughs> I'll let you do that. I won't won't spoil that. Um, but the one thing I do want to um, point out too, like as just a microcosm of how faithful the dub is in ad adapting stuff. There's one character who goes from the military to a very prominent political position, and we'll talk about her when we get to her. And the exact term that they use to describe her transition is. Now the pawn becomes a queen. And that was like bag of hammer subtle. So easy to understand. It was it almost felt like we were being punked. So yeah, I like the dub on this. Yeah, that you do know that that actually is a move in chess and some rules. It is, right? you're right. Like you because can... what happens is your pawn, once it gets to the opponent's side, their final row, you can have that pawn become any piece that you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, I played chess. Haven't played shogi though. Shogi. Yes, thank you, Megan. Thank you for. I'm not gonna lie that I'm not gonna lie that if Dio was ever exposed to that song, he would never shut the fuck up about it. Luciola, shogi. Like he would be chasing Klaus around the fucking Sylvanas, screaming that at him. So yeah, that's my thoughts on the dub. I'll go next since I'm already talking. Uh, so I never watched this until, like, now. And I've owned this show for, like, four years. <laughs> I never watched this growing up. I never saw it before now. Like, um, I've just never, I've been meaning to watch it because that was how I was flirting with Roots. Was like, let's do an episode together. And years later, here we are, having been dating for two years. Um... I, I really enjoyed the dub. I thought it was a lot of... It was made the show very easy to watch, but then again, in itself, Last Exile is a very dense show that is very approachable. I think that the writing uh, the writing made that abundantly clear. Uh, there's no lines that feel extra, extraneous. There's nothing that feels like uh, they were shoving a joke in for the sake of shoving a joke in. Uh, like Noah says, this is definitely a dub that's coming off the back of... Cowboy Bebop, in a sense, because Bebop was still fairly new when this got recorded. Yeah, this would have been uh, yeah. only a couple yeah. years later. Like, within... Uh, yeah. So, this was very much a transitional period away from your your four kids, your Deke, your, your Nelvana dubs <laughs> that would take a serious subject matter, even if it was presented more in a kid-friendly light, such as uh, Sailor Moon or Cardcaptor Sakura, uh, because this is not a show for children at all. Like, this is not something I would subject, like, 
like a 10 or 11 year old too and i would probably not show a 13 or 14 year old this show i think it's a little too dry for their liking um i would send this like maybe 16 and up um but they never they they treated this show as what it was this was a very serious show that dealt with a lot of politics that had death uh, around every door that was very serious um, it, it does have its lighthearted moments, like Lavi literally almost beating a man over the head with a steel chair. Uh, but there are also just these very tender moments, uh, like the, like when, uh, Lavi has the dream about her parents and the day that they, her dad dies and, mm. uh, kind of the stuff that, the stuff that Dio goes through towards the last half of the series, the last quarter of the series, uh, and especially the stuff with Delphine, who is just a piece of shit. Uh, and I think all the acting is really well done. The only issue I, I genuinely had with the dub is double casting. Um, That's true. There are a couple of those in there. There's one really, really big obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do understand that this is a product of its time. This is a dub that is well around 15 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand if the actor pool isn't what it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but it is very obvious when those two characters not only one interact with each other uh two they're in a very small confined space and three said actress um has a bit of a distinct tone to her voice mm-hmm. so you can very easily tell who's the double cast in that situation mhm uh, especially other when than they're that, playing I, I thought it... I'm sorry well, especially when they're playing next to each other yeah, they're playing next to each other and playing two very opposite type personality characters. Yeah. Um, I I will say the one thing I do appreciate about this dub being about 15 years old is there's a lot of actors that you don't get to talk about a lot in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really cool to get to talk about that. Uh, and before I pass this on to probably Amon, uh, I made a point that you have all probably done an Emelman in your lifetime. How many people here like to ride roller coasters? I do. I do. I do. Yay. I have a story about you on a roller coaster recently. <laughs> yes, you do. Um, basically, uh, you've probably done what's called an Emelman loop. It's where you come down, you do kind of a half loop, and then you roll out of it. Uh, it's on a lot of roller coasters. Uh, you've probably done one before if you ride roller coasters. Mm-hmm. So a spin and a it's, twist. It's very funny to hear. Yeah, it's very funny to hear Dio yell Emelman, Emelman, and I'm like, I do that when I go to Bush Gardens. <laughs> uh. To which, I guess I'll tell the roller coaster story at the end of the episode because it is really funny. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it's great, I promise. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be worth getting to the end of the episode for, so stay tuned. <laughs> Should I go? Yes. Alright. Um, what to say? Uh, so, like, I, as I mentioned earlier, I did watch this when it was originally airing. Uh roughly i guess like i read online apparently they show the first 13 episodes and kind of repeats for a while and then did the second half of the show which may explain why i never saw the second half for a long time um and to speak to megan's point i think i was about 14 15 when this started airing and i did enjoy it but i definitely don't think i understood it that well it was mostly (laughs) just looked cool and had guns and ships that looked like cars (laughs) And hey, I got to stay up late and watch anime. What's I'd watch whatever was on, frankly. Hey, man, when I was that age, I think I stayed up late one time, and that's how I got exposed to the happiness bunny. Look, 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 look,
Dual parallel adventures? Great, I'll watch this. It's some weird Tenchi Muyo knockoff with robots. Whatever. Not that I knew that at the time. I had no shit. Um, having said that, consequently, this is this is not among like the first anime I've ever seen, but it was. I watched it on TV back when often whatever was on TV was the easiest way I had to watch any anime. Um, and so this one, this one stuck with me for a long time. I remember enjoying this double lot at the time. And it was nice revisiting it, because I think it's held up very well. Um, like, I, I, you can very much tell, like, I think as we were saying, like, it's it's very much on, like, okay, we can be faithful to the Japanese now. We can, like, this is a show that has a weight behind it, and we can treat it like that. This is something, you know, serious, effectively. Um, and I think that shines through. Like, I think the writing and direction is really well done. I think they give it the emotional heft they need. Um, also, in retrospect, this is a hell of a cast list. Like, yeah, it is. Like, wow. It's like, like just looking at this, it's like Jesus Christ, they got all these people in one show. You're spoiled rotten in the early two thousands. <laughs> wow, it's amazing because we, uh, I mean, some of these would go on, some of these actors would go on to be like, yeah, mainstays of the circuit. But at the time, I don't think they were no names, but they just like they weren't being flown out to huge conventions like they are now, kind of fame. And they weren't like, they, at least for. The two, the two leads of the show, maybe back then, they were, like, now where they're iconic and at least one of them is even doing, like, western cartoons and stuff, so. Yeah. I mean, you could argue no, for... For, for one of them just because of what they did pre-anime voice acting, but even then, that fandom wasn't as big as it got later on. No, and I, if, if, yeah. if research for another episode we did recently uh, was correct, I think this was... Uh, for the other lead, this was very early in their career. So, oh, like, definitely. They were, they, were abs they were absolutely not a name name yet. Right. Uh, certainly not in the way they are now. Um, you know, like, I, it was really fun revisiting this dub. I think it held, it holds up really well. And I, do, I agree with Megan. I think the show is very watchable for as often dense and complicated as it can be. And I think the dub, like, facilitates that really well. Like, this is, this feels like a very easy watch. This feels like the kind of show, like, if I wanted to try and, like, if for some godforsaken reason I wanted to get, like, my borderline senior citizen age dad into anime, this is the kind of show I would show him. It's like, yeah, Dad, dad you have eight billion books <laughs> on the Civil War. You'd enjoy this. Like, I would totally get my... Like, my, my dad personally is, like, not really ever gonna try anime, but, like, my godfather, who is, like, super into, like, that type of shit, like... Oh god, what the hell is- I don't know what the hell he's into nowadays, but from what my dad told me when they were younger, they used- because my parent, both my parents grew up in New York and around the city, he and my goddad would go to the New York, uh, the Natural History Museum where the observatory is, like the really nice one, mm -hmm. and they'd apparently go and watch, like, Planet of the Apes in there. <laughs> yeah, he definitely enjoyed this then. <laughs> yeah, he didn't enjoy the fucking shit out of this, man. <laughs> I'm just imagining Civil War, like American Civil War now, but we had airships instead. Like, I, I want to see that alternative future, <laughs> that alternative past. I'm pretty sure Harry Turtle Dove's written that novel, so you probably can at least <laughs> read it. Anyways. I'm done, by the way. This is a good dub. I like it a lot. Okay. Um, so, I guess one of the things that I particularly really liked about the dub... Um, not just when I had first seen a couple of episodes way back in the day when it was airing, and then uh, many years later when I was 
kind of watching this with a couple of friends after D&D games, and a buddy of mine lent me a, his copy, and then I finally saved up enough money to get my own copy. Um, it is for a show set in primarily in such tight quarters as, you know, the deck of the Silvana would be. Um, every character felt alive. Um, I know my, my two most important words when I talk about direction and script writing are snap and banter. Um, it is how well characters basically bullshit back and forth between one another and then um, how snappy that delivery comes, you know. How quickly they're able to come back around, get get their next line, their next retort in. Um, and this is great in that regard. Like, every member of the Sylvanas crew has a personality to them, even if they don't have a name attached to them. Uh, even, even the sort of faceless characters played by Walla actors feel like they have some personality to them. And I think that is a testament to early Bang Zoom dubs and just the attention to detail that they had back then. And even now. Um, I do agree with Megan that the one major instance of double casting that we will actually be covering over the course of this episode um, made things a bit odd. But at the same time, you know, the deliveries all worked. So it's not really as much of a complaint. Uh, actually, yeah, I think that's just about all I had in terms of... Uh, direction uh script writing it felt incredibly loyal to the original japanese but at the same time it had a little bit of room to breathe which given 2000s anime dubs that feels like a bit of a luxury that i'm glad this got so really great direction and script writing and sort of giving personality to the auxiliary characters. For real. Speaking of characters, um, our first batch are the uh, are the members of the Silvana crew. Uh, these are not the officers. They are more the the engineers, the pilots, the the crew. Um, we have Tatiana Wiesla, a a daughter of a noble family who goes to Flight Academy, excels in every sort of way, but feels unfulfilled in her life. Um, it is when she more or less defects from her country of Anatare and joins the crew of the Silvana that she ends up finding some semblance of what she was, of the excitement she was looking for in her life. Um, and we also have her loyal her loyal navigator, um, Alistair Agru, who has been loyal to Tatiana most of her life, and t 
two of them in the very beginning of the series are more or less inseparable before um, Klaus and Lavi join the crew and they both sort of go their separate ways for a little bit. Uh, we also have Godwin, the head engineer of the Sylvanas flight crew. Godwin, Godwin. Godwin. Um, not, not that Godwin. Like he basically, Is Godwin the uh, really big guy that cries all the time? Yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, that guy. That fucker. <laughs> like, he's not afraid to browbeat his crew, but at the same time, he's a bit of a softie. Oh, yeah. And then we have Mullen Shetland. <laughs> Mullen Shetland, the Andrew of Last Exile. Ooh. Yeah, he is. I'm not uh, wrong. Mullen Shetland... Mullen Shetland was a soldier for Anatare who fought in many battles and won many awards of, of valor and dignity. These medals on my chest signify every battle against Megan Smartmouth that I've gone up against. When I get one more, I'll finally be allowed to graduate to being respected as a human being. <laughs> I'm not that evil! No, <laughs> but he does have to earn it. It's true. Like as much as as much as we in the show can dunk on Mullen Shetland, he does get some in the end. A lot of some in the end. Yeah. <laughs> um Mullen Shetland in the beginning of the series, let's be real, is a bit of a coward. I mean, wouldn't you be? Um I mean, I mean if I was stuck in fighting what would basically what appears to be uh the aerial version of World War 1 trench combat, I'd be a fucking coward too. I don't want to yeah. die. Fair. Um he appeared in the the first arc as basically a foot soldier who helps Klaus and Lavi deliver a message to the head of the ship he is on. Um who we'll get to in our next section. But he's sort of knocked around ship crews from here and there until around the midpoint of the series mm -hmm. where he is trying to suck his way up to one of the very higher up officers of the Anatare Navy uh, but he screws up and it is through this screw up that he basically starts an enormous fist fight in a casino uh, which leads to Lavi off the ropes with the steel chair where did she where the hell did she get that and where is the referee um but he ends up joining the the Silvana crew uh he becomes an engineer and he basically has romantic interest in every female character on the Silvana regardless of how old they are except for Al thank Regard god thank god they spare Al well, I mean, but Al he is, is sort of an older brother character to Al Arguably, Al is already eh. taken. By, by who? She's like four. No, no, I just mean like in the sense that she's already got enough people protecting over her that she doesn't need a romantic interest to begin with. Because she's four. She's four. four. She's four. I mean, I know yes. she's young, but this is one of those Part weird shows. No, she's like a fucking four-year-old. Yeah, like, it's it's like canon that she's like four or five years old. I, mean, we'll I, I should point out the wiki says she's 11. I was gonna say, she, oh. I know that oh. she's young, but I... Still, not she, that young. She's 11! When was the last time you met a four-year-old? <laughs> uh, my niece is like four. 
My nephew is a four-year-old going he to was pilot four, a van like, ship. Five years ago, is a four-year-old going to pilot a van ship while reading the instruction manual. She wasn't piloting it; she was navigating it. I said navigating. She can't. She can read. That's a very precocious four-year-old. She that can is, read I mean, that I'm well not... already. She's like a fucking genetic super weapon. <laughs> She's literally the keys to the car! For all we know, they programmed it into her! Alright, Al, we need to make sure that you can drive the Honda! Point taken! Alright, Al! Alright, Al, we gotta make sure we can code that you can drive the Stargate! This is not- Here, Al, here's the keys to the Honda Accord, have fun! <laughs> I'm not taking you to McDonald's. Anyway. You can take yourself to McDonald's. That's a fucking what the fuck is wrong with you story <laughs> waiting to happen. In our latest story today, in any case, in top any case. Plane. <laughs> local local 11 year old tries to sky Donald's because the parents wouldn't give her Big Mac. <laughs> Uh, this is this is the future we all deserved. Anyway, so it's the future liberals yeah, want. So who voices anyway. the four characters that we were supposed to be talking about? Right, right. Um, so Tatiana Weisla is played by Michelle Ruff. Alistair Agru is played by Phyllis Sampler. Godwin Austin is played by Bo Bellingsley, and Mullen Shetland is played by Dave Wittenberg. All right, so Noah, why don't you begin? Well, I'll, I'll talk about Godwin to start with, because although Godwin doesn't uh, do much to progress the plot, he's very necessary in encompassing the heart of the repair crew upon the Sylvana, who are essential. Like, I like the fact that the show uh, pays homage to not just the people in charge, not just the royalty ruining the world they live in, but also the, you know, essentially the the pit crew that make what they do possible. And uh, Bo's entire team, I'm sorry, Godwin's entire team uh, is, uh, like you were saying, Roots, um, is a good part of that snappy dialogue where the back and forth banter is entertaining enough on its own that they didn't need to be in a war show. Like, they could have had a Kevin Smith movie all to their own, and I would totally watch that. And Bo's uh, voice is just uh, very easy to tell. Um, I watched... Uh, Legend of Black Heaven not too long ago, and his he's the lead in that, and his voice is, is instantly recognizable. It's the same in this one, too. Uh, which is also good because the color palette in the show is a little muted, so it's not always easy to tell the difference between some of the characters if their designs are really similar. But as soon as I heard Godwin speaking, I could instantly tell who he was because Bo's just got that, that gruff, um, you know... Uh, played straight voice that is really easy to tell. So uh, no complaints on his performance. On as far as Day's uh, Mullen voice, he's he does a lot in the show, um, and but because he's supposed to kind of be the everyman, he's got that mid-range tenor that's young but professional. Like, I, I have more to say about not his exact, his voice, but, like, the way he speaks. Because he's, uh, he's clearly someone who's trying to r climb the ranks in this world, trying to climb out of the normal poverty that he was born into through means of self-sacrifice and whatever else he can do. And and Dave gives him a very believable professional voice, but it's someone who hasn't quite had the experience of a seasoned professional yet. Like, he's got a few years to go before he gets to uh, commander level. So I think Dave was directed well on that regard. The more interesting ones in this 
group is obviously Tatiana and Alistair because not only uh, do they have the most uh, character growth throughout the whole thing when it comes to uh, the, you know they kind of go from the star team of the Sylvana as far as Vanguard pilots to Broken to uh, reuniting back together near the end but also their voices work off of each other really well um, Michelle yeah I mean you've heard her before as like this is closer to her Fujiko Mine voice, you know, her more her more grown-up voice and not her moe voice. And oh, does she have an attitude. Oh, the sass that comes out of this girl. Um, especially when she's, she's like, telling Lavi how, you know, how absolutely horrible it is that you read it out during one of your flights. You know, reading out is when you, you basically pass out from blood rushing to your head. Those are some fast G's. I'm not going to blame someone for reading out from that, but Tatiana won't take that shit. But when she's kind of brought down a peg after the incident that leads her and Klaus to crash together, um, she, you know, her voice and her acting kind of um, lightens up a little bit. She's not as sassy anymore. She's a little more humble, but she still remains, retains that um, uh, dependable pilot voice that becomes a real asset to the group near the end of the show. And, uh, you know, and accompanying her with, um, is it, it's, it's pronounced Felici, right? Felici Sampler? I think so. I think, okay. I want to, I almost want to pronounce it Felici, but I think uh, what you said, Roots, is right. I think it's Felici. Um, I know her best, honestly, as, um, uh, and we're going to talk about Digimon quite a bit in the show. Um, She's best known to me as Mimi from uh, Digimon Adventure. And this, well, let's just say this is quite a bit different from Mimi. Um, and I mean that in all the best ways, because um, she's got a hold l- the fuck up. What? What? Yeah, she is. I'm on Cody. She is. She is the cowboy hat, pink cowboy hatted, stuck up snob of adventure, and she is the blandest oh. toast boy in Zero Two. You shut your mouth. Cody's great. I didn't say he wasn't. Bland can be fine. I like a bowl of oatmeal in the morning. Cody's no doing his fucking best. I didn't say he wasn't. But he does. He's not. Cody just... is as dependable as a Roth IRA, Noah. Oh, <laughs> not in these dependable. days. Not in these days. Roots. Just as fun, too. Wow. Root, roots, is, <laughs> roots is Cody, the 1998 Toyota Corolla of characters. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love... This is the car. Yes. This isn't the car you want. This is the car you deserve. This is the 1998 Toyota Corolla. The... This isn't the Cody that you want. This is the Cody that you deserve. Digimon Adventure 2. God, I... Yeah. I, you didn't know that? Holy shit! You, you did not know that Felicia was Mimi and Cody? Wow. I... I, I, I Alright, uh, uh, no, I'm gonna be straight with you. You vastly overestimate how many voice actors from Digimon I can name off the top of my head to begin with. Fair enough. Fair, there are, there's a bit of a big cat. <laughs> I, I I watched that show when I was a child. No, I was not paying attention to things like voice acting credits at the time. A fucking 1998 Toyota Corolla. And if you put it, oh, imagine this show where we, you know, we have a flying 1998 Toyota Corolla. The Sylvanas. It's not the kind of ship you want. It's the airship you deserve. I kind of feel like that's what what they get. What what uh, lobby? Fucking club. Alex going to pick out the Sylvanas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, 
All right. Um, <laughs> I, I like I said, I don't have um, negative things to say about uh, Felicity's performance, but uh, here the thing I want to give her credit for is that um, she's got uh, she's soft spoken um, in that she doesn't have as much dialogue as some of the other characters, and she doesn't snap back at others when things go wrong. And that that's perfectly fitting for her character because she is the calming agent to Tatiana's, you know, spitfire, I'm the greatest in the world persona. So I like the fact that they balance each other out. And yes, to all you people who will make all the jokes, yes, they are probably in a not-so-heterosexual relationship with each other. But you know what? That is perfectly They're fine. lesbians! I, you know, I wish I was a lesbian and not a hetero. And I didn't have to deal with all those men and all their come and goes. And all the rest of that song. I'm not going to sing the whole song, but these uh, Felice and Michelle work off each other very well. No complaints on this one. This is uh, uh, to your point, Roots, about the side characters kind of fleshing out the world a little bit more. They do. They flesh out this uh, very, uh, God, what's the word for it? Um, uh, not a caste system, but like a political caste, a political and economic caste system where you're kind of stuck in where you're born into unless you work really, really hard to work up above that. And these people seem to understand that very well and are trying to fight against that, which is the crux of the basically what happens in the second half of the show. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I'll go next. Uh, so let's start with Godwin. Uh, frankly, my favorite, I think some of my favorite dialogue was from Bo Billingsley and the rest of the guys that played uh, the the flight deck crew, who I can't name all of them. No. I don't know all the actors who played them, but they were all fucking fantastic. They were some of my favorite people in the show. Uh, and just Bo Billingsley, like, okay, I'm going to sound really weird. Bo Billingsley's Jet, right? Oh, yes. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I've met him before when I was a very young baby weeb, and he was very nice. Um, but he's a lot of fun, and I just love in the last episode where they're staring at uh, the picture that Al draws them, and they're like, "Are you crying?" He goes, "Shut up! I'm not crying." It's like, "Then what's that in your ear?" It's just I think I forgot the exact line. I think he does. He, I think he tries to pull the liquid courage line. <laughs> But they're all just they're all just busting his balls for it, and they're all kind of busting Tatiana's balls all the time. Uh, but they won't bust Sophia's, which is great. Uh, they're a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, I'm gonna do Tatiana and uh, Alistair next, which uh, I am also in the camp of. I basically know Felice Sampler as Mimi, and Mimi is a fucking departure from Alistair. Uh, Alistair is very soft-spoken, very kind of wistful and kind of distant. And I think uh, my favorite delivery from her is when she's talking about how the stars have become unreliable. Oh, yeah. When when um, the- she and Klaus are made to, to go together and there's just the sense of she's got an air to her where she is very much the soft one compared to Tatiana's hard. And I like how the show, like, how she, she kind of gets relegated to the side eventually, which kind of sucks, because I really genuinely did like uh, Tatiana and Alistair's uh, kind of, Tatiana's codependence on Alistair and Alistair's kind of codependence back on her. But I I genuinely also like how Felice is very like, oh, I kind of like this Tatiana better who's nicer to me and everybody else. (laughs) Like, damn, Klaus, what the fuck did you do down in the desert? Um... What happened when you guys saw dildos rain from the sky? Um, and then Michelle as Tatiana. Um, 
I'll have to bring this up a little bit later. Uh, this this is the Michelle Ruff I think I'm a little bit more used to because this is very much uh, reminiscent of Rukia from Bleach for me. Um, she's very kind of the hard, stubborn, and there's not a lot of softness to her voice. And for me, Tatiana is a really fascinating character where I feel that if this was a more modern day, uh, more shonen type show, Tatiana <laughs> would have been a male character 100%. Like, Tatiana is very, very much in the vein- She's very much in the vein of Bakugo. Where she kind of has, like, she's kind of like, everybody else sucks, I'm the only one who's good, I'm the top of my class. And then when she is faced with the reality that she is not infallible, and that she cannot uh, carry everything by herself, and that she does truly probably need Alistair by her side, she flips the fuck out and breaks down. She just mentally is just like, fuck this shit, I'm out of here. Uh, Klaus, shut the fuck up, I'm not gonna help you, I'm leaving, I don't want to do this. And then she's- and Michelle gets that through very, very, uh, effectively. I think Michelle handles the tone of her voice well, her cadence. Um, she's really, really good in this role. I would say that this, um, is- yeah, I, I'll leave my final thoughts on Tatiana for a later segment. And then let's talk about Andrew, I mean Mullen. Um, yeah, he's kind of here. Kakashi but... sense. I know, and I dunk on him a lot. It doesn't stop me. Um, <laughs> At least you're honest. Uh, Kakashi sensei Mullen is not. Um, a lot of people know Dave Wittenberg for a lot of things. Kakashi sensei and being the narrator on MXC Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Oh no, was it Ninja Warrior or MXC that he did? I don't know. Shit. I want to say it was Ninja Warrior. Yeah, let me I think look it, it was up. Ninja it's... Warrior. I think it was Ninja. I think it was Ninja Warrior. Shit. Here, I'll check it out. Go ahead and keep talking while I'm looking this up. Whatever. They were both on G. They were both on G4 at one point. Let's just go with this. And now I'm just imagining Mullen running through the battlefield with the sound of "Don't get eliminated." <laughs> uh, yep, Ninja Warrior. <laughs> da -da 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 -da. Turn to our on-field correspondent, Gila Douche. Gila Douche stands at the beginning of the battlefield in an airship explaining what's going on. Um, I think a good point. I, but no, I, Mullen... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, I think Dave Wittenberg was a lot of fun as Mullen. He plays Mullen as very much the lovable loser of the group. Um, the only issue I have, and this is just the issue with the show in general, is that this show makes Mullen Shetland seem like a 30-year-old man and not a 19-year-old. Um, which gets a little yeah. weird. Which gets a little weird because he hits on, like, Tatiana, Lavi, and another girl who he then marries and impregnates at least three times. Like, it's a little fucking weird. Um, but Dave plays him really well. Dave makes him sound like a fucking loser. Um, he is- Mullen Shetland is the guy who gets read the 1998 Totoro Corolla meme at him. Um, but he's genuinely a lot of fun as everyone's favorable, lovable, uh, mechanic loser. But I also think that he has a lot of drama in heart when the show calls for it. Like, when he is talking to, um, Kate- uh, Kate Higgins' character, who eventually becomes his wife. And he's explaining, like, his medals, and he's doing the, uh, guild bullets will not pass through Mullen Shetland's body. 
And she's kind of like, what What are you doing? He's like, oh, that's what I've chanted to get through all this. And then he starts saying, like, guild bolts won't pass through her body, and she does it back for him, and that's very sweet. Uh, overall, a uh, lot of solid second secondary cast members. Nice. Uh, Amon? Yeah. Uh, where to start? Uh, Dave's great as Mullen. <laughs> I kind of like Mullen because, yeah, if I'm in that scenario, that's what I'd do, too. Not the not the hitting on the women, but the just like there's a high mortality rate in this job. I don't wanna die. <laughs> Can I get a job on a cushy ship where I won't die? That'd be nice. He had the oh, irresponsible Captain ships. Tyler approach to to living. This is kind of what Captain Tyler would be like in a more grounded setting, isn't it? It is. Except, you know, he pretty much he wouldn't actually wrong. wouldn't land an actual job like uh, Tyler got. He would not be a captain. Tyler is not a captain in a more grounded setting. <laughs> he would be. He would. He would be the meat shield who gets shot at. Um, I like Dave's performance a lot. I think he does a good job. I think he like. I think I agree with Megan. I think he does a good job making him sound like the kind of dorky loser that he is. Uh, but I think he just he has just a lot of nice moments. He portrays the character very well. Um, his moments with his future wife girlfriend are very sweet. Uh, it's just, it's a good, it's a good, strong performance. What else? Um, I also agree, I, I really liked, uh, Michelle and Felice's performance. Uh, Michelle does a really good job playing Tatiana. She nails that sort of, sort of aggressive stuck-upness really well. Like, you can tell that, like, Tatiana thinks she's hot shit. And for the most part, that's true. Um, maybe not quite as hot shit as she'd, she'd prefer to be, but, you know, she's good at it. I think she does a good job of presenting that while uh, still letting Tatiana be like very likable like she's still a character you can empathize with really well uh, when she has her big freak out moment like you don't feel like yeah you had that coming it's more like oh shit this is bad I, I hope they get out of this okay because I don't want to see these two uh, get <laughs> uh, gacked halfway through the series that's terrible <laughs> um, and uh, surprising very surprising uh, and Felice I think is just a good counterbalance to that she is very a lot more quiet and reserved. It also feels a little more worldly in a weird way. She's very much like, look, I know he gave you his underwear to wear for a bit, but don't read too much into it. <laughs> You're dating me, remember? Knock it off. Uh, <laughs> it's a good performance. Um, but I want to second Megan. The flight clue is the flight clue are they're great. They are all wonderful. What a great group. And I have not heard Bull Billingsley in anything in forever. <laughs> And it was so nice to hear him in this again. I love Bo Billingsley. He is a great voice actor who I never get to whose work I never get to enjoy enough of. Uh, and this was this was just a lot of fun just hearing him again. It's like yeah, Bo Billingsley. Listen to that. Listen to that great Bo Billingsley voice. Listen to him ham it up, man. Why isn't he the lead in his own show? He is. I, I actually I gave it to you. He's the star of. Oh right. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Yes, yes, but I haven't seen that yet because I've been busy. But I, right. I know I should watch it now. So yes, I will do that. This is not a plug, um, but yes, you should. Um, yeah, no, I know. I, just wonderful, just great supporting characters. Like, uh, you know, the show has a lot of characters. I think we could have easily made the number of characters we're discussing like twice as long if we really wanted to for some reason. Um, like, the supporting cast is very strong, and I think this this little representative sample is a good example of why. Like, just good, really strong performances all around. Cool, cool. 
All right. Um, I'll start with um, Tatiana and Alistair. Um, I think Michelle Ruff and Phil Sampler had a great chemistry together. Um, they really gave off the... They're just really good friends vibe. Oh, yeah. Just gal like pals. Like the, the old pals. woman looking at the laptop screen. Like, and also sort of the... Like, I, I really like their relationship dynamic when Klaus started to inadvertently triple stumble over himself in between them and it was like when um alistair started showing a jealous side that was great like their their interactions are really good um michelle's performance particularly when she's realizing she kind of has the hots for klaus um was also really great um Obviously, the scene where they are sort of stranded in the desert between Anatare and Disseth, like, that was really great character dynamic stuff between for her and also for Klaus, who we'll get to in a little bit. But yeah, um, those two were really good. Um, I love Bo Bellingsley as Godwin. Um... He just has a really great dynamic to him with the rest of the flight crew. Um, and I just love how he's just such a softy underneath. And you don't really see that much with characters Bo Bellingsley gets to play. And it's it's really fun. And Dave Wittenberg's Mullen is just... He starts out as a scumbag. And then over the course of the show, you endear to him and by the end when he's married with like three kids like you can't just you can't help but be happy for him and I think um, he did a really great job kind of growing with the character like I I really like the flight crew of the of the Silvana they're they're all just the best all right so moving on we have sort of the the nobles and the officers of various airships that you see throughout the course of the show. Um, Alexander Rowe is the captain of the Silvana. He looks like Captain Harlock. Let's be real. Has a very similar personality, too. He's stoic. He is hell-bent on getting revenge on his biggest foe, the head of the notoriously murderous guild and he has severed all ties with the nation of Anatare where he was a decorated officer um, he is a wanted fugitive and just yeah um, his goal is to make his way into the grand stream in order to capture the the MacGuffin of the show, Exile. But is it a MacGuffin? The, the, the nut. It's just the Honda Accord in the sky. <laughs> I don't know what it, I mean, it's like a, an alien uh, geometrical spaceship of some kind. With it's a MacGuffin. Mod. Oh, so it's a Kia. What? <laughs> it's a Kia Sorento. <laughs> 
How many Kia Sorrentos have you driven with tentacles? None, because I value my life not to drive a Kia Sorrento. <laughs> there we go. Uh, now, Sophia Forrester is his first officer. Um, she also has kind of a big secret that's revealed in the second half of the show. Um, she's secretly the daughter of the Emperor of Anatare, and she uses this to her advantage to stage a coup and become Empress, which allows her to make peace with the rival nation Dissith and form an alliance to take on the guild. Uh, Vincent Alze is an officer with the Anatare Navy. Um, he has a really badass ship. Uh, part of a new model series that um, that is really powerful. It can take on the Sylvana on an even keel. Like, he's also just a badass in and of himself. And then we also have Duke David Madthane. Uh, he shows up at the very beginning of the series as sort of the commander of a, of a van ship who is taking on the Dissith Army. And he also shows up later as a part of the alliance between Anatare and Dissith to take on the guild. Um, so, Alexander Rowe is played by Crispin Freeman. Uh, Sophia Forrester is played by Julianne Taylor. Vincent Alze is played by Steve Bloom. And Duke David Madthane is played by the late, great Bob Pappenbrook. Uh, so, Noah, why don't you start us off? Sure thing. So, um... Before I talk about these characters, I just want to point out the um, the show has a, a bit of a fascination with um, royalty versus uh, peasant-born, it seems like. And this is something that seems to creep into a whole lot of Gonzo shows from this time period. Like, Gonzo was really heavy on making shows that were, like, royalty versus the everyman. Uh, you see it in, like, Romeo x Juliet, Gonkutsuo, Seven Samurai, uh, Speed Grapher. I don't know what it was, but they were, like, really heavy on that that idea about making shows about fighting the, the landed gentry. Gon Gonzo says, eat the rich. That's exactly what they bit. were doing. <laughs> In every <laughs> Studio Gonzo says, "Eat the rich." <laughs> I mean, am I wrong, or is that was that like just a common trend in everything they made? No, no you're really no, not. No, that's that's there's there's a lot of there's a lot of class stuff in Gonzo in this period. Yeah, and the thing about this show, which I'm sorry if you if you mentioned this, I don't remember, but this is an original sh uh, story. This is not based on a manga or a light novel of any kind. This is actually was created as the 10th anniversary celebration of Gonzo's existence. So this is a completely original story. Yeah, and so like any story beats in this can't be chalked up to an author that you know didn't match with Gonzo's politics. This is like 100% their baby. So I'm glad that we're finally getting to talk about it. And talk about it we shall, because Alexander Rowe's performance would be, I feel, slightly less memorable if it wasn't for who portrayed him. Because although he is badass, and although, yes, he is based on the pinnacle of manliness, which is Captain Harlock, he doesn't, I don't feel like he does a whole lot in the show until near the end, because he's brooding a whole lot in it. Um, but that is kind of washed away by the awesome voiceness of Crispin Freeman because Crispin is just like uh, he has a very good natural deep voice that is um, it can be evil or deliciously despicable in characters like uh, Alucard when it needs to be or it can be snarky like in Haruhi's Mia but 
Alex Rowe is actually pretty close to Crispin's normal speaking voice. Like, if you've ever heard him in um, uh, convention Q&As or behind-the-scenes stuff, this is pretty close to his normal speaking voice, but it's just with an extra layer of professional composure to him because he, you know, he's very clearly in charge of everything. And to that extent, I, I think this is very perfect casting on that part. Um, I feel like even if you had another actor who was acting very well, sometimes that natural voice or even the affectation of a voice you give off just adds extra layers to a character that is just already pretty badass. So, yeah, I have no qualms on Crispin's part there. I, I, I looked around for, like, is there anything really wrong with this? But, um... Uh, the thing I guess I can point out, too, is that he breaks some of his professional composure at some points when he's uh, learnt, when he basically admits that he abandoned uh, the Grand Stream and did not die along with Lavi and Klaus's uh, dads, because he was with them when they did. And, you know, he's kind of running from that cowardship that he, uh, he's trying to make up for that now. And I think we can agree that by the end of the show, he has kind of redeemed himself for that faux pas. And that is why he will be included in uh, Captain Harlock Smash Fighter coming soon to a video game near you. <laughs> Captain Harlock Ultimate. Absolutely. Just 20 copies of Harlock fighting against each other. M Megan, was it was it you who suggested that at a con somewhere there should be a cosplay meetup with yes. Captain Harlock knockoffs? Yes. <laughs> And I think it was Brainchild who said that it had to be led by the girl, the girl knockoff one. Who was... Princess Emerelda? Oh, Queen Es- Yeah, Queen, Queen Es- Yes. Queen Esmeralda. Are you, are you a knockoff if you're in the same universe and were made by the same person? <laughs> I don't know, I don't but know. I want to yes. just say yes so that we- <laughs> She can just have a harem- She can just have a harem of Harlock knockoffs. That's fair. Because She's wouldn't you want a harem of a harem of harlock you knockoffs? knockoffs? Wow, that is a sentence. That is a that is a clip puffer for some girls if I've ever heard it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so along with the um, uh, copywriting birthday s song sidestepping, we also did some copyright avoiding harlock in here too. But that's okay because uh, any uh, any exposure to more lazy Matsumoto is perfectly acceptable. Um, let's talk about uh, Vincent for a second, because, uh, again, this is a character that, um, in a show that is very Star Trek-y in the, like, we show a lot of characters speaking uh, orders to each other, and um, sometimes it's kind of hard to follow along with some of the action, you need actors that can give off the affectation of powerful or in charge, and Steve Bloom does that pretty well. Um, his uh, uh, conversation with Crispin before they go to kill each other is pretty awesome just to listen to i mean i'm not a fan of coffee but i would totally drink steve's coffee warship coffee that he gives him um <laughs> as far as being like close to his uh natural speaking voice um this uh this performance as vincent is like it's got a light growl um but so does steve like steve's normal speaking voice also is a light growl so it's kind of um pretty close to what uh, steve already sounds like and yeah, there's there's no real no qualms on that one. He's just uh, a good commanding presence that kind of encompasses the whole crew. Which, like Megan said before, we don't really uh, can't tell some of the crew members apart from each other. So we kind of lean on their commanding officers to be the face of their world. And that um, necessity to have um, strong personalities as the commanders of these ships definitely also. Uh, extends to Bob Papenbrook's uh, performance as well, because although he, again, it doesn't seem to do too much, um, and I kind of, I thought, because he showed up very early on, like he was part of the first ship that we see um, 
uh, Lavi and Klaus uh, deliver a message to. I thought he was going to be more prevalent throughout the show, but like you said, he doesn't really show up until the final battle near the end. But because he does have that, uh, Bob has that natural commanding presence to him that feels uh, almost uh, kind of worn down by the whole battle they've gone through. Like his speech pattern is just very uh, ragged, not ragged, but more... Um, aged than some of the other characters, especially some of the younger characters. It just lends that extra weight to the, this idea that this battle's been going on a while. This whole war, this senseless war has been going on for years, and there doesn't seem to be an end to it. And we're kind of getting sick of it. And that's why I'm really glad that they do the thing they do near the end. So again, good job on, on Bob's uh, performance of this. And he plays off very well that one officer on his ship who keeps complaining about, there's no chivalry in this! You can't just you know, fire against the ship when it's not your turn. There's just no chivalry in that. I hated that guy. I hated whoever that guy was. And to top As it you should. <laughs> and to top it off, um, well, Sophia is um, really interesting. Um, and Julianne Taylor uh, ha had the potential to make her acting boring. She had the potential to do that because Sophia is not the kind of person who is going to spaz out and give us a hammy performance because she knows how to act composed and in charge, giving orders for someone else while also um, making the sacrifices to try to end the war on her own. Uh, luckily, Julianne gives uh, Sophia this kind of slight lilt of compassion. She's like mostly serious with a very clear diction. She's kind of the kind of person who, yes, I would absolutely expect them to be CEO one day. Um, you know, when, when Vanguard ships eventually do get built, I imagine Julianne Taylor will be the CEO of creating that company. Um, although we get to see a very sophisticated side of her, um, when she essentially reveals, oh yeah, I'm a princess, and I can, you know, make a pact with the other team, and we can, uh, you know, we can basically do the, um, I, I, again, sorry, my history nerd brain is breaking apart, but I, I think it was Austria and France who, uh, married, who had, yeah, it was, it was, um, uh, Queen, it was, uh, Marie Antoinette. The Habsburgs! Thank you, thank you. Marie Antoinette and Mary the Fran Mary the King of France to, you know, create a unity with amongst each other. It's that, basically. It's it's that going on in a fictional world. Oh, wait, no, the Habsburgs is something no, else. No, that was Germany, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, um. <laughs> I'm fucking confused, I forget history. It's alright, there's, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of marrying to stop countries from fighting each other. Which is why, in the future, you will see America's president and Mexico's president marry each other to stop the infighting. And... <laughs> I swear the history books are going to look back and say, uh... was he a prophet? No. So, but, yeah, no no complaints on Joey Sparks. These all characters, again, are very uh, commanding without being, uh, without being too dry. So I appreciate the direction and acting that they put into these, these roles. Oh, God, when you said the marrying into each other, the only thing I thought of in the back of my mind is the Habsburgs need to stop marrying into all each other's families. <laughs> if you've ever seen if you've ever seen the history of the entire world, I guess it's just the section on the Habsburg family. Mm -hmm. By the way, that entire video is is a fucking phenomenal piece of media. Uh, can I go on land? No. Why? The sun is a deadly laser. <laughs> my other personal favorite. Who are the Tamil kings? Traitors. Merchants, I guess. I do love that video. The Mahajapit. Maha, 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 ding. All right, cool. Um, so let's start with, I'm going to start with Duke Mad Thane. Um, I am super, super unfamiliar with 
Bob Pappenbrook's work, unfortunately, mostly because uh, I, I haven't gotten to watch a lot of the shows that he did while he was still with us. Um, unfortunately, Bob has passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace. But he, Mad Thane was the guy that, was he the guy whose family they de- they delivered the message to, yes. right? Yeah, with the, yeah, his, with the awesome yeah, okay. his daughter. Yeah, the, who become a nurse and a, and a maid later on. The, the um, tree. The, the olive tree. Olive, Mr. Olive Tree. Uh, yeah, no, he was he was very regal, very good. Uh, can't say much more about him. Uh, Steve Bloom. Fellas, is it gay to drink coffee in a cave <laughs> with Steve Bloom? <laughs> I'm going to file that one under, I'm not gay, but... But... <laughs> Imagine that picture of you um... blocking a door that says, I'm not gay, and then the word but bursts through the door. But... Just fellas. Uh, no, it's so weird to hear Steve Bloom. He's got that. He's got that gruff on him, but he's not like ultra deep. He's more like the Spike End than like the Demon Slayer giant demon <laughs> drum demon Steve. Um, I really liked him a lot. I, he was very much a good. He was the more lively compared to Crispin's Alex's just outright deadpan. Mm-hmm. Um. He's a lot of fun. I I thought it's a Steve Blue performance. It's it's what the what it's not bad. Like it's hard to find a bad Steve Bloom performance. Let's be real. Um and then Julianne Taylor as uh Sophia. Like Noah said, you could have immediately made her a stick in the mud boring. Uh but she has the sense of regality. She has the sense of I think the unknown because from what the show was implied was Alex fucking her sister. Yep. Ooh. Uh, there were a lot of details That's in this. That's an interesting... I don't know. Like, I I think the girl that was flying with Alex was either her sister or her pseudo-sister. Because, remember, uh, Sophia, when she uh, goes back to uh, her side and goes to talk to her dad, there's that one minister who's talking about raising her as if he was her daughter after, I think, the loss of his. So... I think it was applied to which, by the way, the acting in that scene where she's locked up and he's that guy's talking to her through the hole in the wall, mm-hmm. really well done. Uh, according, yeah. According, according to the wiki, Alex's uh, partner who dies, it's that it's that dude's daughter. Okay, so it is. It is like his suit, her pseudo right. sister. Um, I also really like that Julianne played her with a sense of like kind of longing for Alex, where I feel like she also kind of had a crush on her. And now, oh my god, I'm realizing that she's fucking Tyga in, in Fate. Holy shit. Yeah. That's a- What the fuck? Yo, what the fuck? <laughs> That's just- Yo! Some of us have no context for that. Okay, her character in Fate is literally a dumbass. Ah, so the complete opposite of Sophia. Yes! It's very hard to imagine that these two women these two women are played by the same person. Uh, but Julianne has a sense of regality to her. I think also a deep sense of sorrow. Um, I'd also like to point out that she uh, gave Klaus his first boner. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just a shot of her in her princess dress. Where her boobs are pushed up, and it, the camera—that is like the one fan service shot of the show. I asked my buddy it's if just there any this new girls in the city, and then I walked this girl with tig old bitties. Bitties. 
Like, he just looks at him and he just goes red and looks up. And I think she also kisses him at one point. Just, yeah. Just Klaus the pussy magnet. Um, But no, she does a great job. Uh, but let's talk about the real hero of the Sylphonis, Captain Not Harlock. Um, cool, too cool. I'd like to point out, too, too cool for school, just... I'd like to point out at one point I just sent into my group chat, imagine being the chud who decided to try to duel Captain Harlock. <laughs> oh, that was great. That... <laughs> Where this guy just throws a dueling glove at Alex's back, and Alex just kind of looks at him, it's like, if you want to do this, this man's this career. career. And then he did. True, 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 true. He ended this man's life. Life. And then he ended his dad. That does end his career. And I just want to point out that the, sh- the ship itself that, that that guy captained, get out your Bibles, people, was called the Goliath, which is an infamous, oh. na- full, it was an infamous name for a bully because of the sto- of that story. And the just... ship was full of nothing but bullies. So, you know, just nice and subtle Who tried to cheat? Show. Who tried to fucking cheat? <laughs> um, but man, Crispin is... The cool cucumber of the cast. He is just very, very deadpan, very mellow, doesn't show a lot because his character doesn't show a lot unless he needs it. Uh, I also would like to point out he did a really good job of disguising his voice when he's younger. Because I would have, I think a lesser actor wouldn't have done that good of a job because that's kind of a really big twist for the show that Alex was the that that uh, van ship pilot that was always coming to oh, see them. Yeah. To which I actually thought that Alex was Lavi's dad. Um, oh, I thought that just because of the way the other lady looked, I was like, was Lavi like adopted? And in, in all truth, because and then that got squashed very quickly. Um, but I'd also like to point out that Alex, even when Alex is, it has to like could be in unmeasurable pain, that Crispin doesn't. Uh, Crispin, Crispin, Crispin Freeman, otherwise known as Crispy Free Ham. Um. Didn't ham it up when Alex is literally uh, getting crucified by roses by Delphine and Delphine is like torturing him to which, boy howdy, that scene probably awakened a lot of things in young female viewers back in the day. Um, Oh boy. Just, uh, uh, he was great and I'd also like to point out that Alex getting the kill on Delphine just was very satisfying. I actually disagree with that. Because it was satisfying to see her die, but she didn't die slower. You know, it was. It, she did, it was too it quick. Was too quick. It, it was like it was the. But no, the reason I the reason I liked it so much is that she had such an undignified death. That was that was satisfying. Yeah. I mean, Noah, think about this. Alexander Rowe snapped her neck. He did. With one hand. He Levitating her off the ground. Just squished it. You know what he did? You know what character he embodied there? He pulled a Lad Russo on her ass. And the best thing about Lad is he loves to kill people who never see it coming. They never see it coming! <laughs> Neither does Aunt Steph when Andrew comes on. <laughs> anyway, I'm on. I'm good. You go. All right, sure. Follow that one up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, where do I start? Bob Packerbrook. Bob Packerbrook is very good. 
liked his performance. I liked his repartee with uh, his, his lackey that Noah was mentioning. I don't have a lot to add, but I did want to... I, I decided to look him up on Wikipedia to remind myself of some of the other things I've seen in him. And I just wanted to share this... Uh, this lo This is the second line from the opening paragraph of his Wikipedia article. Uh, he was discovered by filmmakers Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, which got him his very first voice acting role in the hit film Raiders of the Lost Ark as screaming natives chasing Indiana Jones at the beginning of the film. So if you're wondering if you've if you've heard Bob Papenbrook of something, you probably have already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a guy. Not to also, mention he is like a rogues gallery of Power Rangers villains. Yeah, oh, he's that's... fucking he's fucking he's fucking Rito Repulsa, man. Rito. The skeleton. I liked oh, okay. him. Okay. Amon's favorite Power Ranger character. <laughs> I mean, in retrospect, it's like, yeah. Have an easy mark. Um, is Rita is just a question? Is Roots the Goldar to your Rito Junior to your Rito? I don't know. I feel like Roots is a little more competent than Goldar. <laughs> I love you, honey. I'm sorry. <laughs> and... Being compared to a Power Ranger character is never a bad thing. That's a true fact. Um, Bob's really good. He does good in his role. Um, I also I also agree. Julianne Taylor is. I really liked her as Sophia. She does a very good job of playing the character as cool and muted in a way that makes sense. But she's not boring. She ha I think her character arc is really interesting, given what she goes through in the show. I think Julie. Julie, I think does a good job of making her feel kind of regal, even before we find out that she is literally royalty. Um, it's just it's a really strong performance. Um, I liked a lot. Um, I'm trying to think of anything. Did she just use she's good repartee with everybody? I think like just good strong performance. Mm -hmm. Um, at the top of the show, I was mentioning how this show has kind of an absurd cast in retrospect. And we talk about how there's just a whole last scene that's just Stephen Bloom and Crispin Freeman just chatting with each other. Yes, if that, it's great. If that, if that happened in a show today, people would lose their goddamn minds. And this is just like you know, just like two thousand and four. Just yep. Two, two, two of two of two of the male voice actors of anime just having a chat over some tea. I I want to. coffee. I want to reference Sorry, coffee. Uh, I want to reference um uh Arcada's ancient review of Last Exile where he referenced that scene as being as awesome as and I quote, Bubba Fett having dinner with Dracula. Oh God, Alexander Rowe is just flying Dracula. <laughs> I mean, Sounds about right. I'm not wrong. <laughs> Alexander Rowe, no. Alexander Rowe is just season three Alucard flying an airship. <laughs> God, I'm so lonely. <laughs> and in turn, both, I think both of them are very, both of them give really strong performances. Uh, Steve, like, Steve Bloom, it's Steve Bloom. I don't know if there are bad Steve Bloom performances. I feel like he's a little too professional to turn something really lousy unless he's just given absolutely nothing to work with. Uh, Vincent Vincent has a flaw. I think it's that just that as a relatively minor character, he's given comparatively less to do than some of the mains. Um, but he puts it. I think he turns in a really strong performance. He's really good here. He's good. He's strong. He sounds like a captain. I like it a lot. Uh, and Crispin, Crispin is Crispin. He's 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 deep and brooding and. He gives the exact, like, weight and gravitas you would want a Harlock-adjacent character like this to have. <laughs> uh, 
Has Christmas ever played Harlock in any of the Harlock animes that have been dubbed? They should really no, I think that's is, just Dave Matranga. Here's the thing is that there just hasn't been a whole... For as much Harlock stuff as has been produced, I don't feel like a whole lot or of it's been... little that's been dubbed. It's been, yeah, been dubbed. And so, yeah, there's just hasn't... No. I mean, if they took on... Like, if Discotech took on the task of dubbing more of it, then maybe they'd bring him on, but... Yeah, it just hasn't yeah. happened yet. No, uh, Discotech has actually dubbed something else that has Harlock in it, and Harlock does technically have a canon English voice that's Dave Matranga. No, he, you're right. I'm just saying, like, if they went back and dubbed any of the, the older shows or any of the OVAs... It'd probably be Dave Matranga. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. Yes, true. It's true. But if they can't get Dave, I think I think if we've seen Crispin would be a good alternative. Um, he's just, he's great, and I, I think he just... He just he sells the character so well. He just oozes this sort of badass confidence while also just coming off as just very tired about all of the shit that he's <laughs> been through. God damn it. <laughs> he's seen a lot, folks. He's not happy about it. Yeah. Tough time, tough times for Alexander Rowe. <laughs> right? He's got hard times, folks. He's got hard times right up until the end. But he goes, but he goes out like a badass, so who cares? Um, he just literally chokes a bitch. <laughs> he does. You're correct. He does. Um, Crispin's he's just he's just very solid. He gives just the exact kind of performance you want out of this character. I was really happy. This is one of the performances I'm really happy held up really well. Because uh, when I saw this, I was definitely young enough that, assuming I'd even encountered Crispin Freeman in something before, I I would not have like recognized him off the top of my head. And I can remember it's like, oh yeah. Yeah, this is the coolest character in the show. Yep, <laughs> yep. I mean, I was, al- I was yeah. also fourteen, so of course I thought, of course I thought Alexander Rose the coolest character in the show. But you know, beyond were, were, that, were you a hardcore like um, hot topic Invader Zim chugging angsty teenager at your fourteen year old self? Oh God, no! I was very, yes. I, was, no, I was very happy and well adjusted. <laughs> uh, but he had a coat, he had a big coat and a battleship, and that's really all you need. Well, there you go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, no, these are these are great. I love them. Fantastic. All right. Um. So, in all honesty, I put Duke Mad Thane in here because um, what opportunities does the Dub Talk podcast get to talk about the wonderful Bob Happenbrook? I, I want to mention. I want like, to mention one of uh, my favorite roles of his, of uh, Bob Hapenkirk's roles, is that as he plays uh, the principal of the uh, the school in Great Teacher Onizuka, but he doesn't credit himself as Bob Hapenbrook in that show. You want to know what he's credited as in that show? John Sm- John Smallberries. <laughs> which I, I think is a Buckaroo Banzai reference, which just makes me love him even more. Uh, to my understanding, yes. Yeah, and I think that's... <laughs> That is also the name he is credited for in Last Exile, if I recall correctly. Uh, I don't think so. I, I watched the credits. There's a, there's one character, and we'll get to her later, that has a different name than I'm used to. But other than that, I don't think they mostly used aliases in the show. I, They might have initially, and then it changed. I don't know. Maybe for the re-release, anyway. but anyways. Right. Um, Bob Pappenbrook was really... Blah, 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 blah. Uh, Bob Pappenbrook was pretty great here. I I loved his sort of regal fatherly tone. Uh, he is basically 
one of the more competent generals of the Anatore Navy, and it shows here. Um, like, I basically knew Bob Pappenbrook from a bunch of the, uh, the Power Ranger villains he has played in the past. Um, oh, I'm Deviat. That was his name from, uh, Lost Galaxy. Wasn't D- no, I thought Deviat was, was, um, Zio. Or no, that's Machine Empire. That's Mondo. Oh, fuck. Yeah, oh, God. Uh, I'm trying Deviat to remember who like Deviat is. He, he was the robot who stabs Trakina in the back and turns her into the insect monster. Oh, right. Duh. And I should know this because Lost Galaxy is one of my favorite seasons. Where he's just like this snide mustache twirling villain. And I just love that. Uh, but here he's just this gentle old man. And it's it's really pleasant to listen to. Um, let's see here. Who do I want to talk about next? Let's do Vincent and Steve Bloom. Because I think this might be the first episode I've been on where I get to talk about Steve Bloom in a show. And he's great. It is, you know, um, I forgot if it was, um, Amon or Noah who mentioned it, but he does very much have a Spike Spiegel air to him. Throughout the show. And it's... You know, it's really pleasant to listen to. And... He also... Gives the performance of a very confident naval officer. Um, his men are fiercely loyal to him. Uh, he definitely knows what he's doing. And... He is just damn good at his job. And loves his battlefield coffee. That he does. It's it's just beautiful to listen to. And um, Julianne Taylor, again, she gives off a very professional air in the very beginning of the show when she's introduced. And as her character arc unravels and she's revealed to be the daughter of nobility, um, she gets a bit more of a noble air to her. And then... In the finale, when she is leading this joint task force against the guild, uh, she is extremely competent at what she does. And I also particularly like her... Uh, the scene where she's alone with Klaus and telling him to... Oh god, what did she tell him to do? Um, where she kissed him. Like, I thought that was a really great scene. And... Um, Crispin Freeman as Alexander Rowe. Uh, he's dark. He's brooding. He... God, I... I gotta say, my favorite scene of his is the, um, the auction house. Where... You're not quite sure why he's... You think he's gonna buy the... The MacGuffin, but instead... Power goes out, and he switches an eye patch he's wearing just so that he's able to see in the dark. <laughs> it's just one of those badass things, because I didn't know that was something pirates actually did. So, yeah, that was really cool, and Alexander Rowe was a really cool character, and Crispin Freeman played him really coolly. Um, now, on the subject of not cool... 
Um, we have three members of the guild. Sort of an organization of very powerful people who are absolutely wackadoodle. Um, we have Maestro Delphine, who is the head of the guild. And Die. she's after less. She's after exile. I don't think it's ever explicitly stated why she's after it. I think she just wants it to have it. She's just crazy. But she doesn't have it, and therefore she wants it. I think I think right. if I could spitball a reason why she wants it is that Delphine's want in life is to have everything that is beautiful, expensive, and cute to herself. And from what I understand, Exile essentially would take her to a place that would provide nothing but that for her and the people that she deemed worthy herself. She's just a fucking social Darwinist. She's literally True. like a eugen- She's basically running like fucking death pits and mine rapings. Now, if she understood where exactly Exile would have taken her... There would have been a sense of irony to it, but... Where? Doesn't Exile it just take you to, like, a field? No, it goes in outer space. Exile takes you to Earth. What? Oh, right. The The whole thing is, um... Yeah. It's, uh... It's an arc, basically. And yeah. it takes you to other worlds. And then when you reactivate it, it'll take you back to where you originated from. Which, in this case, um... And I guess minor spoilers for Fam the Silver Wing. Fam the Silver Wing takes place on Earth. Oh, uh, what? It takes place on a version of Earth. Oh, okay. Anyway, Dio Eleclair is Delphine's uh, little brother. Um, you're not quite sure what his intentions are throughout the course of the show. And even in the end, he holds a lot of that to his chest. Um, honestly, it feels like he is just there because he wants to hang out with Klaus. Yeah, he's... Because Klaus happened to impress him while they were... While they were in the middle of a dogfight. And then Dio has a manservant by the name of Luciola, <laughs> uh, who is fiercely loyal to him. And it is very strongly implied that Dio does not actually see him as a servant the way Delphine does, um, but rather as a very close friend and confidant. Probably his only friend. More or less. Uh, so Maestro Delphine Eleclair is played by Karen Strassman. Uh, Dio Eleclair is played by Joshua Seth. And Luciola is played by Mona Marshall. Alright, Noah, why don't you start us off? Yeah, we're, we're just going to get this out of the way right now, because it's going to come up eventually. Uh, Dio, and, <laughs> Dio and Luciola are played by Ty and Izzy from Digimon. I, I said it, let's get it. All you, all you Ty and Izzy shippers have your field let's day. Let's get it out of the way right now. Yeah, so you, you watch Digimon the movie with its pop soundtrack, and its three movies stitched together, and its terrible puns, and you thought to yourself, Hot. Those two boys need to be banging. Well, tell you what, they heard you. Gonzo heard you. Well, no, Gonzo didn't hear you. Bang Zoom heard you. And they put these two characters together, and they banged those Zoomers together. And that is why this is the greatest dub that's ever existed. Don't at me, bro. I'm sticking my claim. 
Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to be fair, to be fair. Okay, so both um, Joshua Se- every Matt every Matt tie shipper is coming for you and your testicles. <laughs> bring, it, bring it on! I've seen all six of the <laughs> and your testes. I've seen all six of the tribe. and I don't think there are enough tizzies out there to protect you. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. The the yeah, there's not enough to survive. They've already taken out Sora. <laughs> They're coming for Noah. <laughs> God, Sora deserves such a better ending than what she got. Everybody deserved a better ending than what Zero Two fucking gave I'm, us. I'm just hoping that we'll get some redemption with the last. Um, I, I know it's not a tri- it's not in the tri tri uh, six movies, but the last Digimon. Movie. No, it no it <laughs> is. Me- no, Digimon Kizuna, last Kizuna is literally after the tri <laughs> movies. Yeah. Which in themselves are fucking awful. I, I, yeah, I, I watched all. I just watched all six of them because they were for sale for cheap at my used video store. And all, there's some good stuff in them, but it, it went it derailed very quickly. Did not did not stick the landing. Did not stick the digi landing. Um, we were supposed to talk about this show. So, um, talking about a good thing that Josh and Mona are in. Uh, Mona Marshall's uh portrayal of Luciola, who I'm pretty sure is male. Um. It just, um, you know, Mona's got... Yes, Luciola's yeah. male. Um, but this is another instance of, um, like, the characters look older than the voice gives off sometimes. Um, but to be fair, having listened to the Japanese sub as well, Luciola's uh, Seiyu also gave that very young voice uh, affectation, so it fits for Mona's performance. And Mona's, um, to my knowledge, has never turned into bad acting performance. Um, this is very... Um, uh, as opposed to the more hyper uh, little boys that Mona have played before, this one uh, has syllables that are stretched out with kind of a lower register, uh, or at least low by Mona's um, natural speaking voice. And um, given the entire, um, we don't quite know what Dio and Luciola are doing with the good guys in the show, because wait, we're assuming for at least a good chunk of it that they're double agents and that they're out to screw them over at some point. And then we just find out later on that, uh, no, they're, they're not in it for glory and they're not in it for sabotage. They're just hanging out with uh, people that they enjoy being around. Um, so Luciola's entire persona is just a very chill bro who, you know, will take a bullet for you and thank god for that because um otherwise i wouldn't know why luciola was in the show uh same with joshua's dio where um again we don't quite know why he's in here for a good chunk of it but um he's just running away from his problems he's just hanging out and having fun not really in it for the defeat the guild mentality that everyone else is in it for but honestly that uh that sinister delivery with a twinge of gay throughout the whole thing is just makes it so much fun to listen to like all the other characters are kind of worn down and gruff at you know being in a a war that never ends it's kind of nice to have one character who's more upbeat and peppy and has clearly never suffered anything in their life before and Josh just sounds like he's having. That's a fucking lie. That is a fucking Never lie. Until the end of the show. Until the best birthday party ever. That's also a lie. I'll get to that. <laughs> to the birthday. Okay. Never suffered anything. Uh, having want for anything. How about that? He's never wanted for anything. Okay. I- I'm sorry. I know. I know rich people problems need to be addressed, and you know we have to look out for our billionaires, just like uh, you know they deserve. But. No, no, seriously, eat the rich. That's there's only one thing they're good for. 
Hail Aerosmith. No, Josh's performance is honestly, it's a very sing-song style uh, speaking pattern, and like I said, it's just very different from all the other kind of characters, so... Um, uh, and it wasn't annoying. Um, I kind of thought that maybe Dio would be annoying in that, you know, he's, at first he's uh, a very cocky pilot that thinks he's better than uh, Klaus is, and then he's just kind of hanging around and gives him pet names, which, you know, my least favorite character from the show The Office is Andy, and I hated him from the very first episode because he gives Jim that stupid nickname Tuna for a very, for like a very petty reason. That's exactly what Dio does in this show. He's like, I'm gonna call you Emilman because of the spin I saw you do, and no, I'm not gonna dignify you by using your actual name. I'll use a nickname throughout the whole show. But other than that, perfectly fine as a character and he also deserved a much better ending than he got the one character who deserved exactly what they got though was delphine and i mean i'll let you guys you know dig more in on how absolutely despicable she is in the show but I, i'll just read off this one quote that karen delivers that absolutely embodies how perfectly she did in this <clears throat> episode 21 this world is too small to support more than a handful of you dirt crawlers only myself and a privileged few are allowed the pleasures of enjoying the finer things in this world. That's all I'm going to say. Karen, you did an excellent job on this, and I'm very glad that we got what we got for this villain, because it was... <clears throat> I'm so glad you're dead. Uh, I want to talk about Delphine oh. first. Man, Delphine's a dickbag! <sighs> yep. Like, I remember way back in the day uh, of the D2 forums where Jake had his video on um, his favorite anime villains and Delphine was, like, the only female villain on his mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. uh, and now I see why. Delphine is Caligula. <laughs> she, is, she is some fucking Roman-ass emperor-loving shit. Like, she is a piece of fucking work. And I think the best thing about her is, is that she doesn't really make her presence fully known until the last five episodes of the show. Um, yeah. But she's been kind of... Like, like, I mean, the entire kill... She's been there, but she's not been... She's been there and she's been influencing mm -hmm. stuff, but she has not been the major point of antagonism or, like, the collective evil that the two sides are going to give up for. Mm -hmm. She has been this third party who is playing both sides from the shadows and only showing up uh, when she wants something because she believes that the world should just be what she finds beautiful and what she wants and she is willing to do whatever she wants to get it, including <laughs> brain-raping her own brother and putting him in a death sport. That to was to for. And the way that Karen Karen delivers the line to, to Klaus, where Klaus is like, aren't you going to stay and watch? She goes, oh, I don't need to. I only need to see the ending. She said. And how uncomfortably, like, she has this, like, uncomfortably youthful, peppy, like, girl voice to her at points, too. So it's extra unnerving. <laughs> like, how she's holding Alvis and being like, isn't my Alvis so cute? And Alvis is like, please stop fucking touching me! <laughs> and just the whole, like, I think she also plays the younger version of Delphine that you see at the beginning of episode 23. I think so, too, because it sounded pretty close to Wait. Karen's adult voice and she's very creepy in that too where she's just like see i got you something don't you love me dio aren't you i think the line is um 
have you learned to stop causing pain for me? Yeah, like... So it's like, from a very young age, she is just a piece of work, and, and Karen does a fantastic job as her. Um, so moving over to Dio and Luciola, I'll talk about Luciola first, where Mo- Mona plays Luciola as very reserved and very taken back, because Luciola doesn't show any emotion on his face or in his voice. Uh, much to the point that that is something that Dio brings up, where I think he eats he eats like half a candy or something, and he goes, "If you like it, Luciola, you should show it on your face," mm-hmm. because Luciola doesn't. And you get that scene in the flashback where um, Dio, little Dio gives little Luciola the food under the table, and Luciola starts crying because Dio is genuinely nice to him, and Dio is genuinely his friend. Which is why episode 23 hurts so much and Mona does such a good job with such very little dialogue. Because Luciola does not talk a lot. Nope. And just that whole final scene where it's like, um, and, and especially working off of Karen where, where, where Delphine is very much like, well, if Dia was to tell me that of his own free will, maybe I'll just consider it. And, and, and just... The whole way that Dio goes out, I'm sorry, Luciola goes out is very sad and, and very touching. And then, oh boy, howdy, let's talk about Joshua Seth. Um, the, I, am in, I am on both the episodes of the anniversary things where I get to talk about Josh Seth going crazy. Um, so this was very much a departure from Ty, who is very upstart and... And for a lot of people who only know Josh as Ty, um, who might think, oh, well, he played a very neutered version of the character, um, I do really implore you to go watch the Cartoon Ciphers video on the Digimon dub and how much they tried to keep that intact. Because Josh does have dramatic chops to him. Uh, I think if you've ever seen Digimon Adventure, um, the episode where Ty goes home, uh, the Metal Greymon stuff, but the one clip that lives in infamy is when he's talking about how Kari got sick. Mm-hmm. And yeah. this was very much in the episodes 20 and stuff where he lives up to that dramatic stuff where he's a pain in the ass. He's a little bit weird. It's not always strong when Dio is just kind of being the dumb kind of avoiding the pain thing. But once you start to see how Dio is becoming afraid because he knows he's about to lose who he is... It is really good shit. Like where uh, he talks to the um, the engineer of the Sylvanas where he goes, I'm about to lose the joy of flying. And how he's screaming in madness to not get that stuff taken out. And the kind of weird like whimpers and groans you hear when he's brainwashed. Like legitimately that scene where they're in the dining hall after he's won the death bout. And you just hear them talking over Dio, just smacking the spoon into the table. And then, of course, the final scene with Dio, where he's like, Luciola, we won. We beat Emelman. And he's kind oh. of that, that first Dio that we meet. And he turns around and he's like, Luciola, where have you gone? I didn't mean for you to actually jump out. Where did you go? And you can, it, it, it honest to God, sounds like a little kid losing a puppy. Yeah. So, and the one thing I will say is Dio suffered a long time because in that first part of that flashback, it is literally him crying, I think, after Delphine beat the shit out of him. To the point where she grabs him and licks his face and it's just really creepy. 
So that's all I have to say. That does lend credence to the idea that there aren't any adults in their world, and that they really are just test tube babies that are allowed to roam free. Yeah, also B, there's a lot of, like, kind of incestuous undertones to why she wants Dio to be a mindless slave, because I think that she was planning on fucking him. Yeah, there was that. Hmm. We're gonna file that one under brain bleach and move on. Alright, Amon, you all ready? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, let's start with Karen. Um, she does a really good job with Delphine. Um, she just makes her so... just decadent and self-absorbed, and she... Delphine clearly doesn't think what she's doing is evil. She thinks she's very justified, and I think... I think Karen Strassman captures that really well in a weird way. Um, like, she, she she seems very malicious to us, the audience, obviously, but you can, she, she does a good job of capturing that sense that, like, it, it, no, it never even crosses her mind that anything she's doing might remotely be wrong. No. Like, you're, you're, you're the, like, you're the weird ones, you're the lowly savages who we can't let get out of control, you're the ones with the problem, we're fine, I'm fine, I don't know what your damage is. And I think what makes it even creepier is not just that she believes that, but that that's a genuine argument that a lot of people, a lot of people in power, have used to, you know, make things awful for the rest of the world. Mm. Mm. But but yep. that's in the past, you know. That that wouldn't continue into the present day. Clearly, clearly, it's fine. You get getting a little topical there, Mister No Clue. Everything's fine. <laughs> this is fine. fine. Everything fine, is awesome. Unquote. I mean, everything is cool as a part when you're part of a team, but I don't see what the... Well, we're a team, I guess, and this is fun, so that's true. We're all um, in this together. Yeah, there's... it's. She's just really... Just kind of grandiose and malicious. Uh, it's just a really... Not fun, per se, but it's really well done. Uh, like, this isn't, you know, this isn't quite a... This isn't quite the kind of villain who you, like, love to hate, per se. But uh, she she is she does she just nails the character really well whenever she's on the screen. I do like that slow build up where she like you know she starts showing up here and there, and as time goes on, we get more and more of her. And I think she just it captures the character's essence really well. It's a really strong performance, I think. I mean, we're um, kind of we're kind of tipped off to her her full intentions in her premiere episode where she gives that ring to the auctioneer. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean. All the, all, all the, all the, all the, all these people kind of have a bit of a sinister vibe with their sort of weird sci-fi elf look. Like, kind of, yeah, kind of tell something's up with them, even if it's not obvious right off the bat. Like, mm, you're, they really you're like do. El you're not, you're not like, and you're, you're like elves, but not like fun Tolkien elves, like <laughs> fey fairy tale elves that like eat people or something. Like, mm, no, you're, we, not, you're, we... not, you're not good. We we don't get a Legolas in this. We we get a a very very twisted. Oh God, what was her name? The lady with the water. I can't remember her name. Oh oh the the lady that's played by um. Ah uh, shit! Not 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 the, the lead pace elf, but the yeah, girl like the elf. The one who like, in the place of a dog lord, you would have a queen. That one. Yeah, that lady. I don't know who plays her. I was like, do you mean the one that's played by, by Liv Tyler? No. But not her. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, isn't that Tilda Swinton? Is it? Yeah, that is Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Okay. okay. 
Hold on! <laughs> was it in the place? I have to look up that character's death. While you're doing that, um... Gladriel! It's Gladriel is her name! I... Some people don't know Digimon voice actors. I don't know Tolkien, ha Tolkien characters. In your defense, there's a lot of those. Um, also, B, that wasn't Tilda Swinton, that was Kate Blanchett. I knew it was Kate Blanchett, okay. Oh, Kate Blanchett, okay. <laughs> I was just like, I know it's not Liv Tyler. Alright. Uh, where was I? We don't want to miss a thing here. Sorry, you were saying I'm on. How have there been two Aerosmith references and I haven't made either of them? What is going on? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Um... In contrast, uh, I think uh, Joshua and Mona play off each other really, really well. Um, I think Mona does a good job of making Luciola feel very, very neutral and flat to a certain extent, but not like a, there's no personality kind of way. Just in kind of like, I I have been I have been told in my life that I have a role to fill, and this is my role. And I might have a deeper inner life, but I live in a I live in a culture that has encouraged uh, that to be either gotten rid of or suppressed and that's what i'm doing right now because that's how you don't get disposed of in this society um especially like towards the end where i think like even luciola is struggling with like what is his place in the world where do his loyalties actually lie and i think moda, moda i think especially there really excels at that i think she does a fantastic job and joshua's just great i know i know he was out of voice acting for a long time. I, f I know he, he retired, I think, at some point in the mid-2000s. Um, and mm. which I always thought was a shame, because I always thought he was he was a very strong voice actor, and I even for a long time, like, all I knew him for was Ty and this. But even just based on these two, it's like, oh, this is this is a guy with good chops. Like, he's delightful in this. He always feels very... He's a good contrast to Karen Strassman's performance, where he, he always feels a little... There's always something a little off, like he could be a villain, but he never feels as obviously like malicious or evil there's always there's a, sort of a weird playfulness about him it's like when he's you know he's zooming he's zooming around um Klaus and lobby's ship and he doesn't shoot them he just says bang because i could have killed you but i didn't <laughs> and Three. it's a game for it's a game for him he's not going to kill you but he could and that's fine it's very telling um, that the first thing we see him doing is playing a game of chess exactly yeah very much so um, and he, I think he just does a good job of having that. It, he could be a bad guy, and but he, you know, his motivations are always held very close to the chest. We're, we're not sure why he's there, but I think Joshua really he captures that really well. He's he just he just performs the character very well. He gives him the right level of like quasi sinisterness, but maybe he is here just because he's having a fun time, and he's <laughs> not going to cause any trouble, and he's perfectly happy to just stay here and have fun with his quote friends unquote uh, and he never has to worry about any of his other obligations ever again and wouldn't that be wonderful <laughs> uh there's something something oddly tragic about um dio's storyline <laughs> things did not yeah. play out the way he wanted it to dio just wanted to gtfo from delphine <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah um yeah, this is this is another strong set of performances. I think these were all really well done and executed, and I was really happy with them. Cool. Alright, um, I think I'll start with um Karen Strassman and Lady Delphine. Um, she does a really good job with sort of the vain, abusive 
older family figure to Dio. Um, I know this was touched upon a bit, but she is particularly cruel and does not seem to have any sort of capability for empathy for anyone, least of all herself. And, um, nearly all of the scenes she are, she's in are absolutely bone-chilling. Um, so, very, very high props for her performance. Um, I like that Mona Marshall played Luciola a bit robotic, but at the same time, like, it feels like there is... I'm trying to figure out the words for this. Like, there is a, a person trying to struggle out of this sort of shell of a human being. And I really like that sort of complexity in Luciola, because it's not apparent until he actually makes his move to protect Dio at the very end of the show. And as for Dio himself, I really love that Joshua Seth played him with such a childish wonder. Um, like Megan had said, um, Dio seems to have never needed to want. Um, anything he wanted, he got. That was Noah, not me. Oh, okay. Um, he acts like a very spoiled child. And a lot of his story arc in the original Last Exile is the crew of the Silvana sort of inadvertently removing a little bit of that vanity from him. He slowly starts to realize himself as a human being, and I, I really like that bit of him. Especially when he finally encounters his sister again. He freaks out and gets captured and whatnot and is forced into his sort of oh man he is broken when he is aboard uh, Maestro Delphine's flagship um, he is just absolutely you know like Dio in absolute or not, not like Dio like Luciola he is an absolute shell of a human being when we encounter him again. Um, cause, um, Delphine had made that really expensive pudding and all Dio was doing was smashing it with his hand and then licking it off of his hand and, and Delphine considered that so cute and like that was, it was weird, it was creepy, but it was a really effective scene at what it needed to do. Um, so, all around, these were three very, very strong performances for the show. Um, also, I'm really glad to be talking about Joshua Seth on the show again, let me just say. Uh, but in any case, we have one last batch of characters to go over. Um, Klaus Volka is a novice fanship pilot alongside Lovey Head. Um, their father's respectively, were one of the first people to attempt to cross the Grand Stream from Anatare into Disseth in an attempt to broker peace. 
uh, but they unfortunately met a tragic end when their van ship encountered the exile. Um, Klaus and Lavi end up becoming pilots and crew members aboard the Silvana in an attempt to figure out uh, what exactly happened to their father and to protect Alvis Hamilton, uh, the key to exile, who is... Um, through a series of chants, um, she is basically the one who activates the ship in order to set it on its return trip home. Uh, so Klaus Valka is played by Johnny Young Bosch, Lavi Head by Kari Walgren, and Alvis Hamilton by Michelle Ruff. Um, so I will start this off with Noah. Yeah. What did you think about this, about our batch of main characters? This is, um, so, um, you mentioned before how, um, if, uh, Crispin Freeman and C. Bloom being in a scene together is mind-boggling to us here in, two, in 2020, um, the same goes for having a show starring Johnny Young Bosch and Kari Walgren, because, to my knowledge, the t unless you count, like, uh, ensemble shows like Do Ra Ra Ra, the two of them haven't been, uh, stars in a show, um, since then. And so it's really nice to hear them work off each other because, you know, Johnny's using his um, his nicer uh, Vash the Stampede voice, um, you know, very in contrast to, you know, his more sinister voice and stuff like do rah 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 And um, even though the character is 15, even though Klaus is supposed to be 15 and Johnny uh, sounds a little bit older than that, um, you can kind of forgive that a little bit because both Klaus and Lavi are supposed to be acting have to act more mature than their age because they are not only orphans but they are taking on the flying responsibilities that is usually reserved for older individuals um they're par they're um partaking in a race near the beginning of the show uh that's entirely filled of adults who have been doing this for quite a long time and those adults uh kind of berate them a little bit for their inexperience and for being younger but they hold their own and they they easily would have won if not for you know the plot kind of crashing in and giving them uh adoptive daughter to you know take care of but that is why uh Johnny cannot be uh portraying Klaus as uh stuck up or arrogant or even boring because that just wouldn't do for a character who's supposed to be the everyman and still developing uh into this big war you know he goes from being just a guy delivering messages to a freedom fighter against the big bads of the show and giant does a really good job on that lavi's uh by contrast is uh, you know they work off each other really well klaus is the cool collected one lavi is the uh fire spitter who was also a really good mechanic. And Kari then gets to have a lot of kind of burst out moments, you know, where she takes a metal chair and tries to smash it over a guy's head for cheating in a gambling ring, as she should have. I would not have stopped her. She should have smacked him. Uh, but she also uh, not only gets to have a lot of great freak out moments, but she also gets a lot of um, morose moments too. There's like a scene where she like very dead, not deadpan, but like dead to the world says to the camera, my sweet short life is over. Um, but it bugs me so much that Lavi gets kind of sidelined to secondary character in the second half of the show because after episode 10, she doesn't want to fly anymore, at least in battle. She's fine delivering messages, but she doesn't want to fly into combat. So she spends the rest of the show trying to fix up their airship, and so Kari doesn't get to stretch her chop so much, and that bugged me. But 
despite that, they are a very good pair working off of each other, and the show gives each of them uh, both tender moments and uh, funny comic relief moments that, um, honestly, I could see them uh, stretching the show out even further. Um, and it kind of feels like the show should have, because I don't know about you guys, but that last episode felt just a little too rushed. Like, they had to wrap everything up uh, in one final episode, and we didn't quite get the... I don't know, the, the satisfaction of an epilogue like we do for some other shows. Like, we did get an epilogue, but we didn't quite get to see, you know, the final resolution of their characters. But still, they're, they're good actors. They're, they're good in this. And that brings me finally to Michelle. Um, and as Megan said before, this is a, a product of the time in that some actors get to play multiple lead roles. And this is one for Michelle. She got to play both Tatiana, and she gets to play... As we now know, not four-year-old, but 11-year-old Alvis. Yeah, for the record, not four, 11. Four-year-olds can't read that good. I, I have a six-year-old, almost seven-year-old, who is just now learning to read picture books. Where was I going with this? Uh, Michelle's uh, portrayal of this, um, this is on her meeker side, you know, whereas Tatiana was the the older Fujiko Mine, um, Rukio from Bleach kind of voice. This is uh, her more uh, trademark Moe voice. And it's, you know, it's okay. Um, it's not annoying. It's pretty dynamic in that she gets to, um, she gets a lot across in very few words because uh, Alvis takes a while to warm up to what's going on because uh, at the beginning she, she, you know, she experienced someone dying who she was very close to. And throughout the whole thing, she, um, you know, she, uh, she grows into being a more full-fleshed uh, individual as she becomes part of the crew. And Michelle's portrayal of that is to never have her lose her youthful softness to her. Um, she just becomes very compassionate towards everyone around her. Um, and that, that goes from um, uh, being the navigator for Klaus near the end of the show to um, being unafraid of what she is as she learns that, oh yeah, I am the Sephiroth gateway key to this alien tentacle monster. And I'm okay with that. Um... I'm the keys to the Kia. Again, I don't know what Korean vehicles you've been driving, but I think you need to get a refund. I drive a Nissan, thank you. I want to pretend like I didn't hear that and keep going on. The <laughs> I'm sorry, nothing, what? Nothing. <clears throat> so Noah, you do know Nissan is a brand of car, Nissan, right? You know that. I'm saying that um, I, I'm just not a big fan of Nissan, okay? Yes, I, I am. I am snooty about my brand of cars. Okay, I'm not a fan of Nissan. What? No, you don't want to ride. You don't want to ride your Nissan. No. And you know what? I I don't like Dodges either. I'll go on record and <laughs> saying that. Yes, I know we were talking about a co-sponsorship from Dodge, who was going to support this podcast, but I say screw them. I don't like their vehicles. I'm sorry, Steph. I know that sponsorship Whoosh. that we were going to get is just out the window now. I'm sorry. Yes. Whoosh. Whoosh. Gone. Whoosh. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, lots of little, uh, little good moments throughout this whole show. Um, the backstory in episode fourteen helped flesh them out really good. Um, we understand their person, we understand their motivations really well. And in a show where, it, like, it's very rare to get a show where children are are sucked into a big world conflict like this and where they feel believable in it. Because a lot of times, if you have kids sucked into a big world conflict, they kind of feel pitied by the adults who are supposed to be running the whole thing. But Klaus and Lavi and, and near the end, Alvis kind of uh, prove that they can hold their own in 
I mean, they they cross the Grand Stream, you know? They cross that Grand Line, and they find the One Piece, and that is a really big accomplishment. They set up to the thing they wanted to do at the beginning of the show. So, for all the voice acting all this, really good, and, I don't know, maybe we'll see Johnny and Kari co-star in another anime in the future. Man, I wonder if those cu- those two crazy kids ever got anywhere with their careers. <laughs> I'm kidding. Of course they did. Oh, absolutely. Um, so what did you think of them, Megan? Uh, I can't believe that uh, Adam could. F- Adam uh, is a frog. Um, <laughs> Klaus. <laughs> Klaus, I'm a vanship pilot. <laughs> um, uh, I'll talk about Michelle as Alvis first. Um, I actually thought Al- her Alvis performance was the roughest in the whole show for me. Uh, sometimes it was a little stilted because she had to forcibly play herself so young and try to differentiate her from being Tatiana. Uh, and I think her performance as Tatiana was the strongest of the two performances that she did in the show. Um, not to say it's bad, it's just, to me, it was my least favorite performance of, like, the main core Mm -hmm. cast. But man, I fucking love Johnny and Kari as Klaus and Lavi. Uh, also being, now I can see exactly why they had Micah Solasan voice match Johnny and fan the Silver Wing. Because if you would not, if you would, if you literally took it to a person who did not know actors by name, they would have probably thought it was Micah. Mm-hmm. Like, it is very spot on to what Micah sounded like in his early career. Um, hence why they voice matched him to Johnny characters a lot. And why he, Johnny plays a lot of his characters' dads. Yona and Eureka 7 Astral Ocean. Um, I think the thing that I like the most about his performance as Klaus is that Klaus is never, like, he yells and stuff, but he's always, like, kind of the more emotionally softy of the two of them. Like, granted, Klaus and Lavi are both kind of emotional softies. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what I genuinely like about both of them as characters. I think that Johnny plays him just super solid, um... Maybe not, like, the strongest Johnny Bosch I've seen. Uh, but then again, I've been spoiled by so many great Johnny Bosch performances over his career. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, Leo in Promare recently. Um, his current work on Demon Slayer is pretty good. Um, just, honestly, the, Klaus sounds a lot like you from Demon Slayer, but younger to me. They have a very similar tone in their voice. <laughs> um, he does not sound like Leo from Promare, to which, uh, Amon, you've seen Promare, right? Uh, not dubbed. Oh, uh, but you've seen the movie. Yeah. Did you see that post, I think, was, uh, it was just Leo singing the game drums. God damn, fucking shit! No, 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 fuck, 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 fuck! And it's just to, to that movie, and it's literally the entire summary of Leo's character in the film. If not, I'll send it to you after this. Um, Klaus is just such a- Klaus is such a good, sweet boy who somehow gets himself a harem. Like, Tatiana. (laughs) I mean, they're not- Lavi. Sophia. Dio. (laughs) Um. Dio counts. No. Dio counts. Listen, okay, in every harem show- Dio- in every harem show, every, the main character, the MC, has to have at least one male character who just makes him look better in contrast. And usually that male, that friend is voiced by Greg Ayers, but not so in this case. So I'm not saying he's part of the harem. He isn't Fam the Silver Wing. It's 
So funny story about that, <laughs> Noah. He isn't fam the silver wing. You're kidding. He isn't. You're no, kidding. I'm not. Oh my god. <laughs> it's in the fucking the, chat. I didn't read the. I, I avoided all spoilers for fam the silver wing. Okay, like full disclaimer. I no, he put no, 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 Noah. Roots put the who is their vocal match in the in the chat. I didn't read that part. I literally did. I'm Noah. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I love that funny story about that. Don't arrest me, please. I have a wife and child. I can't afford that's any it. more sickness. That's it. You have to drive. That's why. That's it. You have to drive a dog. God damn it. Um, I don't want to die. That's it. You're getting, 19, you're getting the 19. You're getting the 1998 Toyota Corolla. Um, I'll take the Toyota. That's fine. No, but he's a lot of fun. But to me, the the biggest standout in this is definitely Kari Walgren as Lavi, who sounds like a 14-year-old Haruko Harahara. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't unhear Haruko in this. And it doesn't bother me as much as you'd think. Like, I absolutely love it. Lavi is my favorite character, um, next to Dio. And I do I do also feel really bad that Lavi gets kind of designated to secondary uh, up until the end. And I'm not gonna lie... I almost started sobbing when Kari climbs up when they actually find their dad's for realsy vanship. And she climbs up and she just goes, oh, daddy. And you just start crying with her and you're just like, fuck, man. Oh, that was a little, that was a little. She does a really great job as Lavi. She brings so much energy to it. She, she never has a bad read. I think she's the best performance in the show, so. Uh, but from that, I'm going to hand it over to Amon. Sure. Uh, where to start? Michelle Ruff is really cute as Elvis. Elvis is what? So just adorable and just trying to. She doesn't really know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> she doesn't understand why any of this is happening or why she has to get dragged around. She's and she's just found some friends who are just nice to her and she just wants to hang out with them. Because it beats the hell out of everything else going on around her. She does and have Michelle's. She has the most adorable stuffed goat. I love that goat. <laughs> I want one of those goats. It's so <laughs> cute. Um, and she's, she's just very, he's very sweet and charming as Elvis, who clearly just wants things to go well and hang out with her friends and not have to deal with all this stuff that keeps getting dragged around to her that she doesn't understand or want to deal with. Um, she's very cute. She's very charming. Uh, I don't have a lot to add to that other than that, so let's talk about <laughs> Kari and Johnny. D to your point, Noah, can you imagine how hard people would flip their shit if they were the co-leads of something that came out now? Jesus Christ. It would... Oh, people would shit... People would be shitting I their mean, pants. Yeah, 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 it would be um right up there with the free cast announcement as far as, like, holy shit, shut my life down while I watch this show. Just, absolutely, just, it, it's just like, you know, here they are, relatively early in their career, I think... I think this was airing around the same time Fully Cooley was airing on uh, Adult Swim at the time. So, like, Kari was nobody, basically. Um, she was just starting out. You you know, if you knew Johnny from something, it would have been either Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. Where, uh, if you go back to those really early episodes, like, he got better, but you could tell early on <laughs> that they hired him because he was a martial artist who could act a little, maybe. Mm -hmm. Not because he was a good actor yet. He got a lot better, but... Um, can we just say that he he is above Jean-Claude Van Damme in the martial artists who can act category? 
I don't know. I really like Jean Claude Van Damme. He have you seen Bloodsport? He is hilarious in that. Okay, that's a different. There's a, whole, there's a whole bit where there's a whole bit where he makes Forrest Whitaker run around, <laughs> chase him around a city, and he is great. That's a okay. Yes, that is. But that's a very different. Now I'm just imagining Jean Claude Van Damme in Last Exile. Honestly, with the kind of show this is, he would probably die in his first episode. He would absolutely die. <laughs> it would be of his own. John Claude Van Damme. Mr. Van Damme. This is not a movie. For, this is not a show. <laughs> last, the live action Last Exile where John Claude Van Damme is mullet. Yes. <laughs> okay. Would... Funny story about that, Megan, but I will save it for final thoughts. I'm, I'm scared oh God. this is going to lead to. Oh, God! Anyways. Um, so, if you, if you had seen, at this point, if you'd seen Johnny in anime, it probably would have been Trigun and maybe a few other things at this point. So, they're both relative, at least relatively new actors, and they are so good in this. Um, you know, John, I mean, Johnny at this point, I think, like, you know, within five years of this, I think Johnny had already earned a reputation of, like, hey, we need a bright, optimistic kind of maybe shown any lead character are we dubbing in california let's see if we can get johnny and bosh because we'll <laughs> nail that shit so hard <laughs> it is it is funny it's funny watching this now and realizing it's like yeah of course they cast him as rented in eureka 7 of course they did you can even pitch his voice up enough to actually sound relatively close to an actual teenager um he's like i i, I like him a lot like klaus is very Plus, he's a good boy. He is he is he is nice in a sincere way. He is just a good kid who wants to do well and deliver letters and do good stuff. And Johnny's just really good at having just he's good at that. It's a character type I think he, he always excels at when he gets cast in and I think you can really see it in here. He's just um and, and he, he can get some range in here because Klaus does he goes through he does go through a change as the show goes on uh, just because of what he has to go through and experience but I think um, Johnny just does a he's just really good at it um, and that also goes for Kari like I think even if Lavi doesn't have as much to do in the second half of the show like Kari I mean Kari's always a delight I feel like uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of more recent things I've seen her in but I feel like she doesn't always get to play kind of like younger characters as much anymore even though at least at the time like she was really good at that like lobby oh. sounds like exactly how you didn't want this character to sound oh well, um i'm on have, have you um i mean i know you're a big fan of fairly odd parents um you, you saw some of the the newer seasons right Don't talk about them. They don't fucking exist. I'm going to point out that I was a teenager when Fairly On Parents was on TV. I wasn't watching as many cartoons by that point. I, I'm just being facetious. But yeah, she, she shows. I, and you're, she, has, she had that? Good for her. In the later season where they were running out of stories, so they just added more characters. They uh, they did the Rumiko Takahashi thing, except bad. Uh, is that So the, so the cousin Oliver did it? Shame, shame. I, yeah, but there were no good characters being added. I'm sorry, but but she was good in the show. It just like cousin very... Oliver. That's Anyways, a reference for um... our older fans. <laughs> hi, hi, older people. <laughs> Do you like jokes about things from the '70s? We're gonna get along just fine. You remember? Uh, Anyways, go on. Uh, I had a point. Kari's she's just a lot of fun here. I think she just she captures the character really well. She is peppy and spunky but she feels very authentic especially when she's like oh god we're gonna die 
I don't want to die. Um, but she also, like, Lavi gets to have her more, like, dramatic emotional moments, and I think Carrie does that really well. I think the peak of that being in the last episode when they find their dad's van ship, and she just breaks down a little bit because, well, how would you react in that situation? Um... Yeah. yeah, no, these, like, it, I, as far as, like, to my recollection, they, they were both relatively early in their career, and they were already so good at what they were doing. Um, like, the fact, the fact that they're the, big, the biggest names as they are now, like, that's, that, I think, that's really not surprising. It's like, these two clearly knew what they were doing at the time, and I think they've only gotten better with age. Uh, so, yeah. Like, this is great. Thumbs up. Alright! Um, yeah, one sec. Do -do. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm gonna start with, uh, with Lavi and Kari Walgren. Um, she just gives Lavi this, this pep, this energy. Um, Lavi's a real go-getter. Um, she is the one who is constantly tweaking the band ship in order to make it more suitable for the races and deliveries and all this. Um... She is the one that does, while Klaus is the one who thinks of the logistics of how to do it. Um, I also really like, sort of, while it's sort of a gut punch to Lavi's character arc in the second act, when, um, when Klaus is just suddenly getting all this attention from the female members of the Solvana, and she's actually getting kind of jealous about it. Um, I think Kari did a really great job, you know, conveying that. Um, and also, like, I love it when Johnny Young Bosch gets to play sort of naive characters. I think it's a really great, um, it's a really great fit for his voice. And, um, Johnny gets to do a lot of cool stuff with Klaus. Klaus is a character, he is not in and of himself you know, protagonist material. Um, mm -hmm. he's definitely, he's definitely an ensemble player, particularly with, uh, with Lobby. And I think Johnny got that really, really forward and straight. And it's like, he just plays Klaus as this good kid. Like, you don't want anything bad to happen to him. You know there's, pr there's probably going to be some stuff, but, you know, you, you root for him. And, uh, yeah, Johnny Johnny just has this really good sort of sense of naivete to Klaus's character arc, and it's it's just wonderful. Roots. Um, have, have you seen uh, the Count of Monte Cristo anime? I've seen a little bit of it, but I haven't finished it. Okay, because okay, so you know that 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 is the pinnacle Johnny Young Bosch playing slightly naive characters performance, at least as far as I can remember. Yeah, I mean, don't get I I like his performance in Last Exile a little better. Maybe that's just personal bias, though. But oh no, that's a honestly because versus Albert, Klaus is much less of a moron. Fair. Um, now, Michelle Ross is, uh, as Alvis. Um, I will agree with Megan that she is a little bit rough. Pardon the pun. Um, 
particularly when she has to act against herself. Uh, there are a few, there are a few scenes in the show in which um, Elvis and Tatiana have to interact with one another, and it's it is a little strange because um, you can tell in both cases it's Michelle Ruff, so it was just a little bit awkward, but you know. Uh, particularly at the end, when she really has to act and convey this sense of horror in Alvis as she's being held hostage by the guild and, you know, clinging ever tighter to, to Klaus. Like, she does get the performance down, it's just the voice gets a little bit awkward. Um... So, in general, I, I give all three of the leads a thumbs up. Even, uh, you know, despite the sort of awkwardness with, uh, with Alvis, I, I still generally enjoyed the performance. Um, and with that, I think it's time for final thoughts. So, Noah, why don't you start us off? Thank you. And uh, thank you very much also for letting us keep the um, Fire Force group together to do this show. Um, fun fact for those listening in the audience. Oh, absolutely. Our, uh, yeah, this is a great group to work with. Um, our... Uh, chat icon for uh, Fire Force was Marshall from Paw Patrol. So we were uh, somebody, I don't know who did this, but someone was a fun person and decided, well, now that. Oh, I absolutely fucking it was, did. Okay, it was change the logo t from Marshall to Sky from Paw Patrol. So what's going to happen is this same group is going to do shows tied into all the Paw Patrol characters. You know, we'll do uh, a water-themed one for Zuma. We'll do a police one but for, uh, for Chase. and it, It's, it's going to be fun. It, we're going to make this a sextuplet group. Which which is the one... Which one are we going to do for uh, the bulldozer dog? For, for Rubble? There's not an anime about construction. Uh, yeah, there's not really an anime about construction. <sighs> we may have to dig for that one, but I'm sure we can think of something. Bite me. Oh, oh, wait, no, we gotta do seven because there's a se there's a Fuck seventh off. one. There's a there's a snow Paw Patrol dog too. We gotta do something for that. That won't be hard. There's plenty of anime in the snow. I, as far as the flying, as <laughs> far you. as the, the later later, <laughs> honey. So as far as the flying show goes, uh, this was um, it's a show that I'm very glad I finally got a chance to watch because I'd own a DVD copy of this for like ten years now. Finally got around to watching it. Um, that being said, I'm not surprised that it's kind of faded from uh, popularity as far as least with um, people who weren't there when it first came out because it's a very dense, very mature kind of show with um, some rather dated CGI to it. And, let, I mean, you, you could say, it's, you know, charitably and say, like, okay, it, it's like video game graphics from the time period. You know, it's a, it's a time capsule for how C, the best that CGI could look at the time period. Questionable on that, but regardless, um, the dub itself is absolutely top tier and uh, is comparable to what we are getting today. Um, any military heavy or combat heavy anime that you may have seen recently, this is going to be on par with that. And with the emotional complexity of characters to go with it, with some real world politics in it as well. Um, I don't know entirely, like I researched and I couldn't find out if there was like one event uh, that motivated this particular story in Japan. Um, I know we were living in, you know, post 9-11 world at the time period. I don't know if that seeped into the writing. Point being is that uh, it's a good show 
if you're just kind of paying attention and it's a great show if you're really paying attention uh it's dense it's pretty heavy on the cgi but the voice acting is really good on it and um i'm i am gonna go check out uh fam of the silver wing after this i'll even though i've heard it's not as good i just kind of want to keep finding out more about this world that i devoted 26 episodes to so thank you roots for advising me to watch this no big thing Alright, my turn. Uh, so, I have been meaning to watch this for a couple of years, at least two years now. Um, seeing as I, I've tried to flirt with this show. <laughs> um, I genuinely did... I really like this show. I think this show is, is pretty great. Um, I wouldn't put it in like, one of the best anime I've ever seen, but this was a lot of fun to watch, and I had a good time watching it. I thought the dub was very solid. I thought it was a lot of fun. It's a little rough around the edges in some places, and I do think that it is a little bit not, like, substantially weaker than what we're getting now, but I would say it's not as strong by, like, a couple, like, inches. Um, so, but I would easily recommend this to somebody who, like, if you're just gonna casually watch the show, uh, the dub is, it's not like, oh, the dub is god-awful, don't watch it, just watch it in subtitles. It's, no, watch the dub, it's pretty good, it's very interesting, and if you are, were not old enough to remember when dubs like Digimon first came out, uh, there's going to be a lot of voice actors in this that you're maybe not super familiar with. Or if you are familiar with, you're going to be like, damn, this person goes back a while. Um, <laughs> I'd also like to point out two things I forgot to talk about. One, I'd like to point out that one of the guys in the crew gave Dio porn for his birthday, uh, which was great. Uh, two, I keep forgetting that Mona Marshall was in Blue Exorcist. And the only thing I can think about about this character is uh, Brian Beacock's booper of, yeah, I'm just going to run down and get caught uh, Kanekamaru some, uh, some porno mags. And number three, so that roller coaster story from earlier, uh, Roots was down visiting me a couple weeks ago. It was great. Uh, I took him to Bush Gardens and I made him go on a roller coaster called Tigris. And at the very top of Tigris, there is what's called a zero G roll. And the way that this roller coaster works is that it sends you back, it sends you forward, it sends you back. And then it shoots you up forward again, and you come up over the top, but you take the zero-G roll really slowly. As we are going through it, both of us are out of our seats because of the way the roid works. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. I just hear from next to me, nope, 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 I don't like this, I don't like this, no, 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 no. And then we went over, and then we went over the edge. I went back on it again, he didn't go on it, but when I went on it the second time, I actually slammed my arm down hard enough to nearly bruise it. Um, wow. It was great. Um, but that being said, Amon, uh, please talk about please talk about the 1998 Toyota Corolla. I mean, Last Exile. I'm sorry, but before you go on, did do you honest? Okay, did, uh, does Bush Garden have a, a roller coaster that's named after a character in Kung Fu Panda, or is that just a coincidence? Coincidence. Okay. You do know you do know a tigress is a real thing. You do know that now. No, it's, it's important not. to me that you know that. Oh right, and next you're gonna tell me a Kung Fu Panda is a real thing. No, that's 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 just in a movie. No, it's Wait, are you telling it's, me that all monkeys aren't voiced by Jackie no. Chan? Uh, Noah, number one, Bush Gardens has nothing to do with the DreamWorks line of characters. Uh, they have Sesame Street at their parks. All right, I will remember that when I come down to Florida. Oh, we'll take you. You you better. Anyway, uh, Amon, go ahead. I'm sorry, Noah's comment uh, made me lose my train of thought. Um... <laughs> Sorry. Also, it's very it's very late and I'm tired. Um, 
What was I going to say? I like this dub a lot. I think it is very solid. I think it's really well done. I think it's a, if you're interested kind of like the history and evolution it does, I think it's a really good example of that kind of early 2000s, okay, we can, we don't need to change a lot for American audiences or English-speaking audiences all that much. We can mostly just Oops. adapt and localize relatively close to the Japanese, and that's going to be fine. I think this is a very strong example Sorry, of that. Uh, I think everyone's cast really, I think the casting is really good. I think the direction and writing is really strong on this. Um, I think it's a great show. Um, I think even if it is maybe a little dated looking the CGI, I think at least the CGI looks sharp and consistent for what counted for 2003. And um, if we ever hit the point where like early CGI kind of stops looking dated and just kind of becomes retro, like certain design things from like, you know, 50 sci-fi movies have hit, I think Last Exile <laughs> will be a show that benefits a lot from that. I think it does look, it does, it does look nice for what it is. And I think that'll benefit for in the long run. Um, and given this is pretty readily available these days, like, go check it out and watch it. It's a good show. Uh, and you can also go check out uh, Blue Submarine Number 6, which was made by a lot of the same people a few years earlier. Uh, which I have not, which I have, yes. which I have, which I have shockingly not seen, even though it looks like the exact kind of thing I would enjoy. So, that's on me. Uh, did that also, did that air yeah, on television? Yeah, and, um, it was on Toonami, yes. Okay. Yes, that or actually got, swim, yeah. uh, broadcast run on Toonami. Okay. Like no, a proper Cartoon Network tune oh, Yeah, yeah. It's just a, it's an OVA, it's an OVA, so it's like four, six episodes, something like that. But yeah, yeah. No, it was on American TV. All right. Yeah. All right. Um. So I guess it's my turn. Um. Last Exile is definitely a product of its time. Um. Bear in mind that this aired around early two thousand and three. So. Around that time, uh, Spirited Away would have won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature, first and foremost. Um, and to sort of coincide with that and sort of the tone of the show, um, Hayao Miyazaki also notoriously refused to come to America to accept his award yes. uh, because he was vehemently against the Iraq War. And and that drove um, uh, some of the plot choices he made in directing Howl's Moving Castle, too. Yep. Um, now, I know Miyazaki and Ghibli are way out of the way when we're talking about Studio Gunzo and the production of Last Exile, but it should serve as sort of a bellwether of, you know, politics within the animation scene. So, um... The show is vehemently anti-war. Um, to the extent that uh, stuff like um, Tomino's works or... Um, oh, there was another example I wanted to name, but it, it escapes me. But it's basically, you know... Um, why do we have a child piloting this war machine? Like, the show actively goes out of its way to ask that question. Um... Uh, but I, I think this is a very, it is very slow, it is very scenic, it is very beautiful, and it is very much worth your time if that's your kind of jam. Um, the dub is absolutely spectacular. Uh, even in terms of just that sort of early 2000s, this is the, at the time, peak anime 
bubble dub. Uh, this would be another, I want to say three or four years before the bubble pops and Genion goes under and ADD. So this would, I feel like Last Exile as a dub represents the peak of the mid-2000s anime dub. That's what... Um, Bebop sort of preceded this era. Uh, definitely. But, you know, Last Exile is definitely, like... I consider it to be one of the strongest dubs of all time. I, I would argue that maybe, um, maybe Full Metal Alchemist may take that crown, but... That uh, that had some strong highs, but it also had some shaky parts in it too. So maybe from like a total package point, you may be right about right. Last Exile being the, the the pinnacle of what we got. Well, don't forget, I also said one of the strongest dubs. Of right, all. right. So yeah, of that era, not the strongest. One. Yeah, Sorry. we we were in an era where you know we feel need to have a winner of everything. So you know we gotta knock everything down a peg. No, there is enough room in the greatest dub farm for a bunch of stuff. You're so. right. Um, but in any case, um, if our three hours worth of rambling about how The Last Exile dub is good has made you curious about checking out the show, um, you can head on over to Funimation, where for just anywhere from five ninety nine. dollars uh, to $7.99 a month or $59.99 to $99.99 a year, um, you can get access to a bunch of anime dubs and now subs now that their Crunchyroll partnership has ended. Um, a lot of interesting stuff there, including Last Exile and a bunch of other shows from acclaimed character designer of Last Exile, Range Murata. Um, including last year's Bem and Copcraft, Salty Ray, uh, Shangri-La, or, you know, as we like to call it, um, title goes here. Oh, he did, I should have, I should have realized that he did Shangri-La based off the cover. Yep. Because <laughs> the main character just looks just like Alvis. We've told the Shang, we, have we, have we ever told the Shangri, the anime Boston Shangri-La story? I believe we have. And if we haven't, it's insert. probably on a vlog. Yeah, with the insert <laughs> yes, title is. here. Insert insert title here. <laughs> um, if you sign up, you can you are eligible for a two-week free trial. Um, if Funimation's not your thing, feel free to cancel it, but do so within that two-week time frame, or else you will be charged because they asked for a credit card. Um... Speaking of financial transactions, um, we have a Patreon page uh, that if you will include a link in the down below parts um, with also a, a like and subscribe if you're if you're on YouTube, that that also helps us a lot. Um, but we do want to thank our patrons for Providing financial contributions to the show uh, that make it a lot easier for us to do what we do. Uh, so at the $5 tier, I would like to thank Crimson Echidna, Michelle Travis, Miraculous Corazon, and Nico Robin, but with the Yowie hands. Now at the $10 tier, 
we have Carly Lessacow, Jacob Wilson, J2, aka Jared, Marissa Lenti, and Weeby. Uh, thank you much. Thank you very much, all of you, for you sending a little awesome. bit of. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank mm -hmm. you. Much obliged. Um, and as I mentioned before, um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, um, head down to the down below parts, um, subscribe, thumbs up the video, uh, ring the bell too, because that also, it, it helps us quite a bit. And, you know, leave a comment as well. Just don't be a jerk about it. Um, the... The Dub Talk Podcast also has a Twitter account at Dub Talk Podcast where you can mainly receive updates on what we are up to. Um, also, you know, we occasionally will post interesting things that come our way about anime dubs and voiceover. Uh, we'll mainly put it there for you guys to check out. Uh, and we also have a Twitch stream at the same of the same name. Um, considering everything that's going on in the world right now, we are trying to do more with that just to give you guys a little more entertaining stuff to do. Um, so stay tuned. We will definitely mention it in our social media feeds when we decide to use it. Yes. Um, and with that, I think I will pass it on to Noah so that we can all tell you where you can find us individual members of the show. Thank you. So, um, so thank you very much for listening in. And by the way, if you've gotten all the way to the episode here and you want the secret special prize, the keyword to type into the comments is Zugzwang. Yes. Zugzwang, which is a chess move where you can only not move or else you will lose the game. And that is an episode title that is kind of tied into that concept i just wanted to type that in because that's a very fun word to say Zugzwang. but if you want to follow me and my other weirdness uh you can follow me on twitter noah clue uh post content about er, content <laughs> post uh, comments about the animation world in general and pictures of my children who are locked inside with me for a little bit of time but that's okay because uh it turns out that uh, i actually like being a dad so and I also have a YouTube channel called Journey Traveler, which, time permitting for the conditions we're in right now, I may actually be able to do something more with. So keep an eye out for that. Megan! You can follow me at Queer2. My, I shit post on a daily basis. I'm also falling half asleep. <sighs> sorry. Uh, sorry, just follow me at Queer2. I shit post, post pictures of my cat, and sometimes talk about Animal Crossing. Uh, you can find me at US on Twitter. Duel is spelled with two U's. I talk about comic books and movies and music and things like that. And I also have a dusty old song if anyone would like one. Yes, please. Yes. Does Woo! it come with a bagpipe? Dusty song. Dusty song. Dusty song. Maybe, actually. <laughs> uh, yes. So, as we've noted... Oh, so I should also I should also point out the OP to this show is a banger. That you should, even, even oh if, god, it's oh, so absolutely. good. Cloudy Symphony is one of the best songs I've ever heard. Even if you have no in intention to watch the show, you should absolutely go watch the OP right now. That song is great. I bought the soundtrack for this just for that song. <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, 
FYI, not only is Code H Symphony a really good song, the opening to Fam the Silver Wing called Buddy is also really fucking good. And it also has some of the best transition work in anime openings. It's a high claim. No. Uh, as, as Noah has reminded us, there's a chess theme going on throughout the show, particularly in the uh, uh, episode titles. So I decided I would share some music that has to do with chess. Wait, wait, wait. Now, I, I could... Well, no, it, it, I, I could share uh, you something from the musical chess. I, I was going to ask. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I am a Benny and Bjorn fan. They are geniuses. There's no question there. Uh, but frankly, aside from One Night in Bangkok, I've never heard a single song from chess. And while I do enjoy the sound <laughs> of respected British stage actor Murray Head rapping, as absurd as that is, <laughs> I am going to share something infinitely nerdier with you. In the 70s, there was a prog rock band called Griffin. And their shtick is that they're really influenced by medieval and renaissance music and would actually play period instruments like the crumb horn and that kind of thing. Wow. Uh, and they have they have an album, their third album, Red Queen to Griffin 3, which is a musical representation of a chess game. Red Queen uh, It's real. All right. It is, it's real good. I highly recommend it. It's a lot of fun. If you ever wonder what a crumb horn sounds like, you can listen to it and find out. Uh, not quite bagpipes, but let's go with that. Um, so yeah, check that out, and you can listen to it, and you can wonder what's wrong with me. <laughs> I gotta admit, Amon, I really did think you were gonna go the the layman's route and reference the chess musical. I'm pleasantly well, that's, that's, surprised. That's way too, that's way too obvious. The, the, the true key to the dusty old song is to come up with some obscure crap that only hopeless music nerds like me ever even care about. Uh, one day, one day, I'm gonna recommend uh, like Frupp or something, and people wonder. All right, I'm just gonna stop listening to this man. He's clearly making this up. There's no way this is real. And then you'll go on to YouTube or something. And it's like, holy shit, why does he know about this third rate prog rock band in the '70s? What is wrong with him? You mean what is, is right with yeah, him? What is right with you? You're doing God's work. I mean, if if you can reference third rate rock like prog rock, no one can. And Noah uh, talks about third-rate, like, Croatian yeah, animation. And I talk about third-rate shitty, shitty Chinese boys love novel memes. We, we've all found our niche, and we're all better for it. It's true. And Roots talks about puppets. <laughs> Loves there we go. Can, can we talk about, like, really obscure puppet shows? Like Pinwheel? Maybe no, one day. Oh, no, no, no. Pinwheel Maybe got an American Brock. I'm talking about, like, uh, oh, God, what was it called? It was this Slavic puppet show where the main character was just a hand that looked like a sun, and it was basically anti Soviet propaganda. I, I, oh, I'll, geez. God, please. please. Um, you guys remember the puppet you, show that was just two eyes on yes, fingers? I've seen the defunct, uh, everyone's seen the Defunct Land TV episode about that. No, no, no. If you remember the title of this show, can you, like, send it my way? I'm, I'm intrigued now. I, I'll, I'll, full, I'll fully admit <laughs> I only know about this because Blame It on Jorge did an episode on it, but yes, I will find it for you. Interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, God. This is like Megan finding about, uh, about Russian Winnie the Pooh all over again. <laughs> I am Roots of Justice. Um, you can find me on the Twitter.com at Roots of Justice. I mainly just retweet animal picks, talk general fandom stuff. Uh, right now, I am playing through Animal Crossing, as probably 90% of people who own a Nintendo Switch are doing right now. 
Um, I am currently in the process of attempting to write reviews for uh, The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And what we do in the shadows, I will figure out an avenue with which to post them. And given everything going on with the world right now, I might actually sit down and do it. This is not a threat. This is going to happen. Um, so with that, I think this episode is a wrap. Yay. Huzzah. Uh. Huzzah. Uh, can I say something before we go? Mm. Andrew, if you've made it this far into the episode, I just want to say, please make sure you know where you're aiming when you're letting all your little van ships out. <laughs> Good night. That's, That's the end of this. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Checkmate. Oh, it could have been worse. No, I could have. I I could have made this worse, Noah. <laughs> I could have brought up. I could have brought up and how the how when they race, at least none of them had to listen to Vanna Pyra's commentary. Oh. <laughs> well, po- you have your points, Megan. You never cease uh, to amuse me. Did you just go yes in the background, Roots? I heard that you just going yes. Good night. Um, and one last fun fact about Last Exile before we wrap, because I forgot to bring it up in Final right. Thoughts. Um, there was a live-action version in the works from New Line Pictures about a decade ago. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Can you, can you, what? Can you imagine if that had gotten off the ground? Leonardo DiCaprio is Mullen. Mm. Paul Rudd is Paul Rudd is Mullen. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God! There we go. Leo Question: as, as, uh, Does Alex he Rowe. does does he get does does Paul Rudd get Macamede? Uh, well, no, he has to. Uh, good night, ladies and gentlemen. Just rock on Boston, <laughs> rock on Chicago, and Otaku on Dubba. And that's the end. Bye. And Otaku on Dubba. Fly straight, emo men. Fly straight. And always remember. Aim your fanships well. <laughs> Pleasant tailwinds, ladies and gentlemen.